Hey guys, this is a Swapcast. It is a Swapcast with the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. You can find them at phoneboothfighting.com. They're hosts, uh, two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir, and stand-up comedian and old-school radio veteran uh, Richard Hunter. Uh, they came over to my house. They were in town. Uh, if you want to check out their podcast, go back. I think like three episodes ago, they did one with Paul Stanley uh, from Kiss, which is... I mean, I talked to them right after. We ended up hanging out after and after that, and they said it was just fucking amazing. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, but I'm going to download it for my flight this week. Uh, let me run through some of my dates real quick. Why not, right? Always promoting. Always promoting. I'm in a Flappers Burbank tonight. If you're getting this right now, then uh, Joey Diaz is coming out with me tonight, but that's a secret I'm not supposed to tell anybody. Uh, Orlando Improv, July 24th, 25th, and 26th. Columbus Funny Bone, July... Uh, did I say July? It, Orlando's next weekend. Whatever. Next weekend. Columbus Funny Bone. July 8th and 9th. Hartford Funny Bone. The 22nd, 23rd. I will be in Calgary with Ari on the 14th. That's right. I'm going up for Stampede with Ari. I think it's me, Ari. I don't want to say everyone's names, but I'm, it's a bunch of us. Uh... Soon to announce, call and stick to work show, July 29th. I don't want to fucking spoil it, but July 29th, there will be a call and stick to work show. Not sure what to say where yet, but I can give you a hint. It rhymes with comedy club. It's a, it's at a comedy club. Oh, man, I'm fucking falling apart. I really apologize. This fucking intro sucks dick. I know that. But the podcast is great. And check out their podcast, phoneboothfighting.com. Um... And their number 35 podcast they did was with Paul Stanley. They've got a lot of really great podcasts. I am either shitting blood or the fucking beat I ate is bad. All right. So here it is. Uh, Me, Frank Mir, both their chicks were with us, although they don't really talk too much on the podcast or maybe even at all. Uh, Frank Mir, Richard Hunter, check them out. Phoneboothfighting.com. God bless. Have a great weekend. Be safe. And there will be a brand new podcast next Wednesday. I'm dropping it. It's me. Sarah Wines, Shank, and Kimberly Congdon, and we get fucking hammered. So, guys, love yourself. This is uh, We can talk. I don't mind. I'm going to re- start recording now. Yeah. Ready? I'm pretty open about everything. Everything. Yeah. One of the things Ari Shafir and I did to continue this conversation, and we'll, eat, we'll leave it at this. Yeah. One of the things Ari and I did was we started telling each other what we were making on the road, <laughs> which is totally against the rules. Why is that against the rules? Because the clubs don't want you to know. And yeah, then, it's the clubs. It's the, that's what yeah. it makes me mad. It's like fighters not telling each other what we make. Yeah. Like, it hurts you. If you're another fighter and you tell me what you make and I go ask for that amount of money, looking at the equations, it's not taking money from you. No. But it hurts the company that's paying you out. So, for example, like the comedians... It doesn't hurt you guys no. to share each other. It hurts the, the club because now called, they yeah. can't screw people over. Ari called me one time and was like, "Hey man," he's like, uh, "I need you to I need you to ask for more money in this club. It's not even in the country. It's in a different club." And he goes, "I need you to ask for more money because they're trying to fuck me based on your rate." And I go, "I'll tell you exactly what I'm making." And I told him, and he went, "Oh, then they're lying. Oh, they're fucking lying." Okay, never mind. Thank you. And they just called. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Like, not not fuck it, but, like, it should be. An, I mean, I'm not saying it should be show, socialist. But, like, I believe, I, I believe, I also take this. I'll say that the club should pay you uh, a, a, a guarantee. Your guarantee should be based on what you they think you're worth. 
and then give you a percentage based on what they think you're worth. Because mm-hmm. I do think you should go guarantee versus percentage because I think that if you do well for a club, then you should be rewarded as well. No, well, no, yeah, no if you're going, guarantees you're, could make people lazy. I can see the concept behind that being like, well, if you know you're just going to make money by showing up, yeah. you're not going to probably help out the promotion of this. Well, you're going to get a guarantee anyway. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, a low yeah, guarantee yeah. versus uh, bonuses, like sometimes you get bummed out because you're like, oh, shit, I'm not on a percentage. I'm just doing bonuses. And you're like, ah, fuck. I wish that I had, I wish that I had done <sighs> That's this. It's a good mixture of both then. And don't yeah. you don't you think too that there's 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 an intangible side to comedy just like there is fighting. I mean, you can have hard pay per view numbers, which are the tickets that you're selling the people you bring through the door. But the other thing is, you've got guys who are known; they have reputations for these insane fight of the night deliveries. You know, they're gonna go all out to promote. And I think comedians are sometimes that same way too. I mean, club owners know when they see comedians. Okay, great if this person draws, but apart from their draw. I know how prolific they are as writers. I know every time they come through, it's a whole bunch of new no, stuff. No, 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 no. Club owners don't care about the comics. But say, don't you no, think they, they should? About, no, they don't care about the comedy either. I mean, there are some that, that yeah. do care about the comedy. They want the comedy to be good, and they and they respect good comics. And 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 listen, if that if if it comes down to the comic wants needs a nine hundred dollar weekend, and and. They're like, listen, this guy is so talented. He just never had his break. They'll keep giving him bones. But deep down inside, and this is just because it's a business. I think I don't think anyone would disagree with me. But they look at the number at the end of the week, and they know they know they've got a mortgage or a rent they've got to pay, and they know that how much money they spent in food and booze, how much they didn't use, how much is left over, and and I mean, the only reason I ever headlined as a comic is because I sold booze. That's it. I mean, I wasn't that funny. I really wasn't. I mean, I was. I was. I'd do a good job. I was very pandering, I think. But I sold a dickload of booze. Like I'd go up. I remember one time killing four beers before the music stopped, and I started speaking. I was just playing Black Betty, and I just murdered four beers. And Doc was sitting in the back, and every time I killed a beer, everyone killed a beer. Like everyone's just like fucking threw it back. So you just now right there, we just sold a whole room full of alcohol. Like I just already, I just sold a room full of alcohol more than any comic huh. working because I just murdered a beer. And then, dude, I was in Philly uh, two, week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I do this call and sick to work tour where I go in, drink on radio, go straight to the club, and do the noon show. Everyone calls in sick to work. It was on Cinco de Mayo, sold out, <laughs> sold out. I said, I said, who wants to do a shot with me? Two hundred and fifty people raised their hand. Let's put, let's just put a price point on that. What do you think a shot goes for at a club times 250 based off of what they bought those bottles for? Dude, that is like – that's where you're going like – Yeah. They'll, hey, I get, I get, there's a couple times where I get to fuck up where the club's going to go, hey, you know yeah. what? He did make me that extra ten grand that he didn't have to make me or whatever it is. What he what what what, what he doesn't do as a comedian, he'll make up for us as a shot girl. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you know, there's listen. There's a fucking there's a truth to that that I talk about in therapy. <laughs> I would love to be Mitch Fatel, who's just very br- smart and insightful and and doesn't care about like what his beverage points are. But like, I just know, and maybe that's my insecurity. But I like know. Like I would be if I was a fighter, I would be sleeved in tattoos with a big like like murderous tattooed across my stomach with a face tattoo and just walking into hype and I'd be like, Yeah I might lose, but 
don't forget me. The promoter will be like, you know, Bird, Bird only wins about as many as he loses, but he always bleeds a lot. I tell you what, man, it shows so he, up and puts on a performance. He yeah. gets submitted from so the walkout fast. on. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen someone get into an art bar, even like in school. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, comedy's a really interesting business. Not, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I think I. I would say that it's so funny. I would say I'm an average uh, uh, UFC MMA fa- fan. I, I average, but I know I know a lot more than uh, probably ninety percent of the people that go. Oh, I like it. I know who Conor McGregor is. Mm-hmm. I know. Like I remember watching you break Silva's arm. I remember watching that. Yeah. I remember where I was when I watched that. That was the first time I ever saw an arm broken, and like. I remember I was in Des Moines. I think he's from Des Moines. Not Des Moines. Not Des Moines. Uh, Maine. uh, he's Bet- from and, Maine originally. He's, oh, I thought he, was from, he trained in Iowa. He did. Yeah. In Bettendorf. Yeah, Bettendorf. Yeah. I was in Bettendorf at Penguins with Tommy Jonigan, and he snapped his arm, and I went, <laughs> oh. like, oh, this is fucking real. That yeah. was the first time you're like, oh, they really break them in middle tap. Like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you'll like this. We had Tim Sylvia on the show last week. Yeah, and we we're launching a new series called Frank Mir on the Record, where we bring on a his former people. I know you. I know. Yeah, to say it, I, I oh, stepped all over you, but I just yeah. saw this online. I think that you guys are bringing on yeah. former opponents. Yeah. yeah, it was actually Frank's wife's idea. Jennifer here had a, his great idea to do this, so Tim was the first one, and it's very revealing because, as like you said, you know, everybody saw what aired on television, but you hear the the stories behind the stories that I had never heard. Tim was telling me that so Herb Dean's referee in the fight, right? And you know, Herb's always very in control, very you know, nothing phases him. And Tim says that he's in the armbar. And he, because of the adrenaline, he doesn't realize it's broken right away. But but he's in the armbar, and he he hears Herb Dean go, "Holy shit! Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. See, can I tell you my perspective? No, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your per- perception of it was. But like, it looked to me. So do you know when you know when you? And by the way, I don't, don't mean any respect to Tim Sylvia. Or disrespect to Tim Sylvia. Am I saying his last name right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. But like, have you ever been in a situation where um? Where something dramatic happens to you and you focus on the smaller thing, not the bigger thing. Like say like um, – hypothetically speaking, say you're in a car accident and you put your hand up to block it. Like what it looked like to me – and I remember this vividly and I, I don't, my recollection may be horrible. This may not have been what happened. But it looked like he was, that he was trying to stop you from breaking it by pulling his own, own arm back. Like it looked like he was – like he couldn't tap because he was too busy – Try, like in the moment of trying to fix the right like right, it, yeah. that is what it looked like to me in that moment i remember thinking he'll never tap he's he's just trying to stop it and that actually you're right that actually happens because one of the ways of defending your arm is you block it with the other arm and then you actually try to scoop it up and get your arm behind there's a, a leverage way <clears throat> one of the most basic ways we do it is a like a rear naked choke type defense yeah with the hands but the problem is is that as you're getting arm barred for you to sit there and say tap with your hand, that's why when we train, we say, hey, a verbal tap counts too. Oh. Because extending your hand to sit there and tap, why that was what was kind of protecting me from taking your arm off is pretty counterintuitive. Yeah. It's like, well, what's keeping me from ripping you off completely? Well, I'm holding on to it. Okay, well, let go and let the other guy know, tap him. Well, well, no, I don't want to. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's why you're supposed to actually be able to verbally sit there and go, all right, stop, 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 stop. And that counts. Yeah. I was listening to you, you guys on uh, Fighter and the Kid, and uh, and I was and I heard I, the concept of um, – what was interesting to me is is uh, when, 
when you do like a big show, like I, I'll, I'll, I'll work it backwards a little bit in my career, but like when I did Last Comic Standing two, it was probably the biggest thing I had done to date, other than audition or whatever. I'd done TV shows, but it was like a big. This is what I do for a living. I do stand up comedy, and I'm about to do it in front of 1,200 people and 13 million. Here we go. And it's so funny the amount of nerves that were there all day long. And it's something I've kind of tried to rectify almost like obsessive compulsively in my career. I don't get nervous before doing any show ever except for like our specials, uh, uh, Letterman, like the big, big tentpole. Like what would be my fight night? Right, right. And I was wondering like what kind of stuff – like what was the – what was the – like what was that like? Like morning of of a big fight, do you wake up – nervous or do you like i get obsessive compulsive i start noticing like 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 say i get into traffic easy i'm like oh the universe is moving my way this is going to be a good day like like or do you start going like you stub your toe you're like motherfucker this day is going to suck dick oh this is going to be bad yeah i guess i don't look too much in the representation in that sort uh for me but uh one thing i realized early on in my career was that you know if if my call time is 6 30 to show up downstairs main event um, and I wake up, I try to sleep in, I wake up at 11, 6.30 is coming. No matter how scared I am, how nervous I am, it's coming. It's an, it's an impending threat. So I can either handle it through doom and dread, which is normally what happens. I start, you know, you start thinking about it, start, you know, freaking out. So what I try to do is just get out of my own way, not hinder myself and consume myself. So I'll start my thoughts, start, you know, getting, you know, go, oh, man, what if, you know, I'm about to walk out in front of 15,000 people live, 20,000 people live, um, you know, millions of people are going to watch me. What if I go out there and just, just completely get decimated and I, you know, my manhood completely gets just crushed, ego over with my family, my wife, everybody's watching. And then I sit there and go, I can't consume myself with that. It's doing no good to think about that. Yeah. So then I just will relax. I'll refocus and go, okay, we have to start on opposite ends of the cage. Like, no matter what, that's happening. Then he's going to walk forward. How does he normally walk forward? He walks like this. Okay, what is his most high percentage first attack? This. What am I going to do? This. What if he comes with a secondary attack? I'm going to do this. What if he does this? Then I'm going to do this, and he's going to do this. And then I can lose myself in the details of the mechanics of the alter, which then is positive because I'm doing visualization, and I can forget about the nervousness. And that lasts for about 15 minutes. And then I'll calm down and my heart rate will come down. And then all of a sudden, about 15 minutes later, I go into the, oh, shit, I'm about to go out there. What if I get destroyed? And then I go right back into panic mode. And then I have to talk my – so it's a lot of like it comes in waves. Yeah. So I I ride the wave knowing that I'll eventually get there and just try to – complace myself as much as possible knowing that no matter what my heart rate's gonna i'll I'll be sitting in bed sweating you know because my heart rate's 140 and i'm not moving but i'm fighting in six hours so i'm freaking out you know i'm about to walk in front of all those thousands of people and then i'll try to again just refocus myself on i'll run through my material okay this a equals b b he's running through his set yeah close note to self closer arm bar Right. right. Yeah. And that helps me. That That's at least been the best help I found because otherwise, if you just consume yourself with just the enormity of what's about to happen, you know, you know what? I guess I first learned that kind of a weird tangent here, but it was I was reading a book on uh, torturing people, <laughs> psychology yeah. type stuff. Right. You know, I'm big. I, I like psychology. I think anybody, you know, I think all of us are into folk psychology, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, what if I do this? How do you react? How does a normal brain behave and react to certain stimulation and, and whatnot? Not so much 
you know, clinical psychology that deals with mostly people that have issues, but just a normal human being. How do you deal with fear? How do you deal with, you know, disappointment, whatnot? And so I was talking about how the CIA agents, one of the best torturing devices this guy would use was a spoon. I'm like, how do you torture someone with a spoon? He goes, because I'd use his mind against him. And I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, how does this work? Because if I come out and actually show you what I'm going to do, you know, if one guy specifically said, I can pull out my dick and say, I'm going to shove it in you. He goes, that might freak this guy out. But this guy's a closet homo and I ain't going to bug him too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what makes you tick. So he said, I would come in the room and literally just sit the spoon down in front of the guy and be like, I'm going to be back. Leave the room. He goes, now you have a guy who sits there and stares at the spoon and goes, what is this guy going to do to me with this spoon? Yeah. And so now his worst fears, he's going, what if he sticks it here? What if he does this with it? What if he does, you know, because you know what you're scared of. He goes, I don't know what you're scared of. So your own mind works against you. So that's what I realized I had to, when I said earlier that I get out of my own way, that impending doom I feel going into a big event, it's my own brain working against me. So then I try to override that. Okay, how can I get rid of the fear of the unknown is the scariest thing. I mean, why do you think people are afraid of things, you know, in the shadows, in the dark? It's because of the unknown. How many scary movies do you see where you put this monster right out in the open in the daylight? It doesn't scare you. I mean, if you really looked at a monster and you turned the lights on and we all stared at it, it wouldn't spook anybody out. But you watch those movies where it's like half in the shadow, half out. It lets your imagination take over. So you, your own worst enemy. My daughter... We were in. Uh, I, I we were talk, we talked a little bit about this before the before you got here, but uh, um, I do I I do a sh- I've been doing shows for the last six years on or probably longer than that where I do adventure, crazy, mm-hmm. bucket list, insane stuff. I was the first person to jump off the stratosphere. You guys are both from Vegas, so uh, what what was this we, along with the bear thing too? Yeah, because I love that story. When I, yeah, when I fought a bear. <laughs> yeah, and so I almost crashed the car listening to that. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good story. The one I told this year on Ari's This Is Not Happening is pretty good, too. <laughs> but uh, the uh, – so I, I – I, what would keep me up at night is the unknown. What would keep me up at night is not knowing. Like jump when I, I jumped off the world's tallest stadium, I jumped off the world's tallest cliff, I jumped off – I mean all those things I, I would stay up at night not knowing what it looked like and I'd panic myself into it, like into yeah. gagging in a – bathtub like just like like anxiety attacks so we were in hawaii and all the all the families wanted to go everyone wanted to go parasailing except for me and my oldest daughter she didn't want to go parasailing and i go i go baby you don't want to have you don't have to go if you don't want to like it's not a big deal i'm not going you don't have to go she was like you know what i'm gonna wait till i get there to see it to see if i want to do it and i'm not gonna think about it until then and i was like Whose fucking kid are you? I was like, that's not, pretty big. You're not going to spin yourself out for the next five hours thinking like, <laughs> what if I don't do it? What are they going to say about yeah. me? Like, oh my god. <laughs> but like I, that, the unknown is what it is. It scares everybody. I mean, billion dollar religions are based upon the fact that people fear the unknown. Dude. You know, I give you the. I have the answers. What happens when you die? You know, the people are like, fine, just tell me what's going on. And that's you know the basis of a lot of people's belief. Like, well, what happens if you die? It goes back to innate that. Us as humans, we have one of the worst things of our awareness is future memory type things. We can actually put ourselves in situations that other animals really can't put themselves in. They don't know their impending doom. We do. All of us, since a little kid, realize that eventually we're all going to die. 
and that freaks people and spins our wheels out. Spinning me out right now. Yeah, and people start yeah. freaking out instead of like, but then again, like I said, it's one of those things that there's nothing we can do about it. So I'm not going to try to speed the process up. I'm not saying just, hey, throw caution to the wind and just say, screw it. Yeah. But at the same time, if we sit there and consume ourselves with it, it's like, well, you're kind of lost in the moment, are you? I mean, you know, I know you're preparing for the next life, but why don't we just deal with this life right now and try well, to be the That even explains things like, you know, where say, Greek mythology comes people have always been afraid of the unknown so what happens is when you know there's a thunderstorm and the villagers are all freaked out and they want to know what that is the guy in charge off the top of his head has to go uh, that's um thor the uh thunder god because if he says i don't know that's freaking me out too then he loses his uh yeah. his position you yeah know? Yeah. Now, honesty sometimes isn't a good thing, which which drives me nuts because I think that's a great thing. Like I'm extremely honest with my kids. Oh. When they ask me questions, I don't feel like I always have to know the answer because I don't want to make them believe that there's anybody out there that knows all the answers. So, you know, my own kids. You know, I mean, my daughter's 12, my sons are 10 and six. You know, they come up to me and been like, you know, what? Ha-, you know, because kids at school might bring up a topic like, what what does happen when you die, Dad? I don't know. But what do they, what if they ask about drugs? Like, like I was just we were just talking about it today. And my wife's like, um. You know, in like next year, we're gonna have to talk to Georgia about drugs. And I was like, and I was like, I'm assuming that's my role. And she's <laughs> like, I was like, well, well, what do I tell her if she asks about cocaine? Like, what do I say? What if what do I tell her if she asks about acid mushrooms and like, do I tell her I've done cocaine? Like that that ruins the vision. She hasn't made yeah, it. Yeah, that's hard. And she's like, well, I mean, I go, like, what am I gonna say? What? Well, yeah, I, you know, it's look in moderation. It's not that bad. It sobers you up. Well, and, your experience with cocaine. We're obviously not a positive experience. Obviously, or you still it. do yeah. cocaine all the time, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to me, th- that honesty can save them. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, you know, Dad, if I stick my finger in the plug, how's it going to work? I'm like, oh, it hurts. Well, yeah. how do you know? Well, then I was five and I had my dad's keys and I stuck my finger, you know, yeah. let me save you some pain. You know what I mean? Like, so I think I would, you know, I'm going to tell my children about any of the past, you know, uh, issues I've ever had, any of the, you know, stumbling blocks yeah, I've run into. you got good man ones. I got like fucked up. No. Like. I have ones too that I won't let probably ever talk about except for with them with closed doors. Really? In the family. Yeah. I mean, remember, I broke my leg, lost the title, lost my career two years in a, you know, basically you couldn't pull me out of the bar. You know, I, I, I found into pain pills, extremely hardcore, face first, you know, a lot of debauchery in my uh, the, the year and a half of just self-loathing. So I could sit there, oh, two years, I'm getting told by the wife. <laughs> so wait, when, when you were in that, did you, like, lately I've been getting this feeling that I go like, like, uh. Fuck it. Why get it fixed? I'm going to be dead soon. Like in my head, like, I, like that sounds silly, but like I've, I'm gaining, I've gained weight and I'm, I'm, and then part of me was like, you know, you know, at least I don't have wrinkles. It just looks, you know, whatever. Like, and then almost like not giving up, but going like, I'm not, maybe I'll never look good in a beach at the, at the beach. Maybe this is what I'm meant to look like, you know, as opposed to like, cause I'm like, well, I'm 43. Like what, what am I going to be like a hot 45 year old? Like, <laughs> Like that's not going to happen yeah. for me. I do the I, I do the math on on purchases now. Like we just got a new air conditioner unit, dude. And the guy tells me he installs it right, and he's looking at the one. And he goes, "Well, this should last you like a good thirty years." And I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm like, "Is it going to outlive me?" Like we're probably not quite to that point yet, but my we're warming said, up. My dad said the other day, "I got two car leases in me, buddy." <laughs> and I went, yeah. whoa, he goes, I wonder what my last two cars will be. And I just was like, holy shit. 
going on the thought about it, uh, very relatable about whether you know you just want to throw in the towel. Why bother? You know, eventually this all comes to an end. And I completely, I've been there too at times where you sit there and go, you know, why keep up the fight? Why keep struggling? Eventually we're all going to end up in a hole anyways. And then when I first thought about it, uh, I relate things to uh, to movies. What was the one, the outer space one, uh, Interstellar with uh, Matthew McConaughey? Do you and know Matt what movie Damon. I was thinking of? Uh, the one where Martin Short got sh- no, oh, like, inner space. Inner space. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's an interesting movie to quote, <laughs> right? Like, <Okay>. So <laughs> Dennis Quaid. If Martin you watch the movie, Short. Matt Damon is a scientist. There, life right? lesson in yeah. there. <laughs> he gets sent off. They all three pick planets, right? You know, yeah. and, and he gets sent off. And the planet he gets on, um, he's never going to see humanity again. He's all by himself. And now he does everything he can to survive, right? Because he wants to live for just the sake of living. And I looked at him like, I wouldn't have done that. Me either. No, I just would have just like, hey, you know, go to sleep in the bed, go to sleep in the bed. Then I realized why I want to continue existing is because I have children, I have a wife, I have people that depend on me. That brings me back to the whole community thing of, you know, well, why you want to, you know, keep on moving forward. Now, this probably isn't a good life lesson for people that don't have anything or anybody in their life. Uh, you know, I'm telling them basically, like, why bother be alive? Yeah. But that's why when I sit there and worry about my weight, my health, you know, moving forward and being a better person is at times when I get distracted and I get into that self, I hate myself mode. Then I bounce back going, oh, shit, you know, my, my daughter, you know, they depend on me. My grandchildren are going to depend on me. Yeah. I have to go ahead and step it back up. You know, I have to shake out of this pit of despair that I'm in and, and try to take life again by the throat. You know, I was talking. My wife just walked into the backyards holding the chickens. And, and by the way, we should note that your your girlfriends and wives are in here. See that dirt coming off? That's what happens in the man cave when the chickens do that. That's why I don't like them coming in here. Oh. They're real cute. But my wife said to me that I was sharing with her, and I was like, I'm like, I was like, it was like I was getting panic thinking when I was when I was twenty when I was twenty nine or thirty years old. The idea of being on the road was the most like luxurious thing in the world. Like, just I was like, dude, I'm a comic. This is my fraternity I'm in, or fraternity and sorority. I don't want to isolate women, but this is my group. Like we're we're, we're you, it's it's a it's a branded fraternity. Like you can't just join. You've got to you've got to be you you it's you've got to earn it. And I was like, yeah. And then the other day, I'm like, I'm 43. I'm like one of the older members of the fraternity. And I was like, am I still comfortable with this life? I was like, what if nothing ever happens and it's just me, my podcast, and my friends? Like, and I started going. I said to my wife, I go. Like I gotta be cool with the idea of not having a yacht because I always thought I have a yacht. I literally I thought always thought I had a yacht. I'd always have a yacht. And you know what my wife said to me? She fucking dropped the mic and goes, "You know I went through a depression when we first got married, and I realized I'd never have another first kiss." And I went, "Oh, I'm not having a first kiss either." Like, I started freaking out. I was like, "Why did you have to be deeper than me?" I was talking about yachts. You're talking about real shit. Yeah. And, and, and I literally was like, and. And then I started thinking, like, it's a way of perceiving life because, you know, like, like I, get, I guess glass half full, but... Well, I mean, how many places? I mean, you have to think of that. I think of this all the time. When I fight somewhere, yeah. I stay in a hotel room. I'll walk out and go, is that the last time I'll ever walk into that restroom in that room? Will mm-hmm. I ever be in this spot at this time? Like, and I'll touch things around me. I'll reach out and touch a doorknob knowing that that is the last time in my life I'll ever touch that doorknob. I'm going to be dead before it ever comes around. You know what I mean? Like, it's over with. Did you ever, do, you ever, do you ever think, like, um, like, I always have a fleeting thing, like, where I go, like, I've had car services driving me around for six years. 
And I just the other day started going. Like I got picked up, and by the club manager, which I, not, doesn't mo- bother me one way or the other. But just it hadn't happened in a while, and I thought, "Ooh, I wonder if I'm done using car services for like." I always think that all the time. I go, "Wonder if this is the last time that someone will uh, feel that it is necessary to pay extra money to make me feel comfortable." And mm-hmm. I started like going like. Like, I always look like that. So I think it's a self-esteem thing. With me, I go, I'm not worth it. You know? I get that. And I think and I think it's a weird thing My because... My laughing. <laughs> really? Why? Well, Tur- talking in- to the mic. Tell me why. No, I would probably... Uh, <laughs> also, also, Bert, do you find that the more things that happen like that, that you start becoming aware of, you know... The next time that I play this club, will it be the car service or will it be the manager? And what should I read into that? Or the next time, like, what if my ticket sales are lower? Like, yeah, there's one club I've sold out. I've sold it out probably. I'm going to I'm going to guess eight times in a row. I'm always waiting for the time I yeah. don't yeah. like I'm I was just there and I just went and I went hmm, like wonder did, did i like and, and i don't call the club beforehand but i i definitely get in the car to do radio and i'm like how are the numbers looking and they're like oh we're sold out uh both shows friday both shows saturday or whatever and you're just like <sighs> like like when will be that time you know yeah. I, there, there's another comic that i was talking about and he's older and uh he's not selling out anymore and he was like one of the biggest comics at one point and i just went Fuck. Like, that really happens. Like, life isn't right. Well, do you ever do autograph signings? All the time. Right? Yeah. I think about that, too. I'll look at the line as I show up. Oh, shit. Right? (laughs) Oh, shit. Do you know what? I'm waiting for the day that, I mean, luckily so far, every time I show up, I mean, I got to stay longer to finish out the time. But there will be a time. When they're like, Frank, I know we had you till 7, but... Yeah, you're good, man. Six twenty. You want to knock off? Sit in a chair playing Clash of Clans. Yeah. You know, <laughs> looking at the guy going, "Man, did you not just waste a bunch of your money by having me here?" <laughs> I, I remember a time when I first started getting long lines for uh, for pictures or comics. It's pictures, and uh, and I think really honestly, if it was real cameras, there wouldn't be any lines. It's just that it's so easy to get a picture now with someone. Yeah. That, um, I, but I remember one time looking at that line and being like. I don't know if I I don't know if I was doing it for real or if I was doing it as an affectation to try to keep myself honest. But I was like, oh, look at all these fucking people! Holy shit, this is gonna take fucking forever! Oh my god! And I just I had this weird. And then I went to that club again and I looked down the line and I was like, I literally said to myself, I wonder if I'm gonna be upset about this line or happy about this line. And I was like, I was like, I should just be happy that anyone's coming to see me. It's a double-edged sword. My wife and I, this is one of our biggest arguments. That's why she's over there laughing. Is that I have a very shitty self-esteem in her opinion. Oh, really? My self-esteem is horrible. But I told her, I'm like, well, that's because since I was 22, what I love to do is to fight. has been on display for other people to watch and critique and break me down. At some of the hardest moments in my life, when another guy who's a trained professional fighter is trying to punch my face in, they get to watch me either rise to the occasion, fall, stumble, break down, fail, succeed. I've been all ends of the spectrum, you know? And so for me to continue to go out there and perform, I've actually developed a lock, la, a lack of ego. I've actually like, well, I don't matter. Almost kind of like a, I always make a joke like I'm a suicide bomber. 
I can't really care that much about myself or I'm not going to be able to go through with this. So in turn, I don't get to really enjoy like, you know, when other people like sometimes fans, I think they think sometimes I can be dickish because I have people come up to me, go, man, I love you. This is great. I look at them. My wife goes, doesn't that make you feel good? I'm like, eh. She goes, why? I'm like, because if that makes me feel good, then when the one guy out of a thousand talks shit about me. It's going to crush me. So in turn, what I've done is I've desensitized myself to both forms of critique, whether it's good or bad. It becomes so scientific to me where someone goes, you, you know, you didn't do this. Okay. And I have no emotion about it. So then in turn, when someone says, oh, this was great. I'm like, okay, no emotion. Like because it's like a self-protection, like cocoon that I've forced myself to be in. Because if you're in the spotlight at all. I'm like, dude, go ahead and uh, Google your name and see what people say about you. You'll do that for about five minutes before you decide to jump out the freaking window. Dude, when I, my book came out, my wife, I remember, I remember where we were, I remember where we were. We were walking out of my daughter's school out the back gate, and she went, oh, my God, did you read this review of your book? And I went, no, and I don't want to. <laughs> dude, we are so much alike. It's not funny. <laughs> she does that to me. For you to finish your story, she'll be on the computer. She's all, hey, Frank, this guy says because. 80, 90% of everything, and Richard too will tell me, hey, this person said this, I don't want to hear it. I don't like, want to hear it. You know, so I won't even go through my own social media. People yeah. will write me nice things, and every once in a while, they'll slip one by, and I'm like, don't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear. It starts it's, with a I compliment. If I give that guy credit, I've got to give the guy that shits on me credit, too. Right. And I don't want to give anything. So I credit. protect myself from everybody. I'm like, I don't know. What's going on? And, and Jennifer will be like, well, you know, there's like you've inspired this person, and like every once in a while, I'm like, like what? what? What happened? Well, this person had an injury, and you, they said they kept you from really falling off the end and I'll like start listening a little more I'm like no 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 <laughs> if I start to care then I'm going to care about the guy it's going to crush me and yeah. just make me just completely paralyzed by and that's why most people are cowards and most people will never succeed in life because they care and it's painful to go out there and be told that like hey you know this thing you love to do yeah well you sucked at it today you really just, you know, blew. I mean, my God. You know, are, do, do your parents know that you, like, uh, your father must be embarrassed that you're his kid, right? Like, I mean, you're just like, oh. It's yeah, got to be so much more brutal on your side than mine because mine, a lot of times, I, I don't probably... know, because you're still being you. So that's why I think all entertainers, you're expressing who you are. That's your brain. That's your mind out there. And if people rip you, I got to imagine that has to be pretty horrible. You know where the competitive side of you, though, benefits in terms of even like what we're doing, like with this podcast, because my old background is radio, right? Yeah. And, and I've never had a partner in radio. I don't think I've ever told you that. I've never had the somebody and somebody show. It's always been oh, really? just me. I'm yeah. the first. And yeah, well, it's, it's and I'm an only kid, an only child, too. So it's probably like I don't want to share the spotlight. Word. But I I've always thought because you've done so much radio over the the years, you know, the generics, somebody in somebody show. And yeah. You can see when they just sort of use the the prep services and they're all kind of, and they're, you know, not everybody, but a lot of times people are just kind of on autopilot with that job. But the cool thing about doing it with Frank and a competitive athlete is now with the podcast, he's there, there's a competitive side to it in terms of like wanting to to rise to the occasion you know because we've had these conversations just september since we started doing it where it's like we sit on his back porch kind of like what we're doing here and just tape uh once a week and at first it was like just the two of us and he's not thinking that anybody's listening now i'm showing up with the numbers and he's like oh okay we now we got to travel with this thing now we got to do press now we got to promote and i actually appreciate the other side of that which is the competitive nature of it you know because if somebody didn't care then they just kind of be apathetic you know whatever you know if anybody's listening if they're not it doesn't matter 
Yeah, I, it's it's one of the things that I like. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I once again, I always say I don't know the room, so I don't know everyone's feelings. But uh, Brendan Schaub, I I love. I think he's a really great guy. Yeah. and he's and this, he did a stand up bit. I had to watch in Vegas when they opened the show. His fighter and the kid. They're, they're I was like nudging. I kept looking at Richard, yeah. like, because you know, obviously, you know, Richard does stand up. I'm like, you know, I'm like a guy who's never fought before, watching a fight, going, "Hey, that guy's pretty good, right? What the yeah. fuck do I know?" So I'm watching. I'm like, "Hey, man, he's really doing a good job, right?" Like, he is. He is. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, and Brian Callen is extremely talented. I'm not yeah. taking away from Brian at all, but I feel like Brandon has fucking. Taken that bull by the horns, and I, and I only say that, and maybe that's just my perception, but he has taken it, and I mean their shirt game is next level, mm. next fucking level, yeah. And they're doing massive theaters, selling them out, adding a second show in a theater. No one adds second shows in theaters, and I feel like, I look, and I, I, I wonder if it's that competitive nature because Brian's, I, I'm, I'm just gonna say Brian's probably a lot like more like me in that like. Like, yeah, I got a weekend in Syracuse. No, Brian will tell you that, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he says that. He told me that. He, Brian, he Brian will be the first no, to admit. Brendan runs he will, everything. No, he yeah. will say. He gives he gives Brendan all the credit on that. And then the other side of it is I've talked to – I've had these conversations with Brendan before where, I mean, to me it's like you're talking to a boardroom executive. I mean, he's got a plan. You know, he's showing remember, you the, the, the strategy. And remember when impressive. he came out and said that when the Reebok deal came in, how much it hurt guys? Because, you know, basically, you know, I mean, if the top – here, me, you know, almost thirty fights in the UFC. I'm getting paid twenty grand, yeah. right? And you know, and it goes down, drops from there. So I mean, guys that are their first five fights, which the average career in the UFC is three fights. So those guys are making like twenty five hundred dollars now. And you know, and Brendan, I think is probably around ten to yeah. fifteen. And so he's like, I lost big money off of this Reebok deal. You know, I make almost six figures in sponsorship, and everybody called bullshit on it. Like, no way. Come on, even me. I'm like, hey man, you know, my title fights sixty five, eighty thousand dollars. Like Brendan hasn't even for a title like really like he's making that much yeah. so i'm like nah there's no way then after sitting down and talking to him and going through it and he actually showed the numbers like his income statements to uh i guess because rogan and him you know we're talking rogan's like hey man is this true so he gave forwarded rogan what he, you know his, his income uh statements you know and rogan forwarded to dana that's why the conversation kind of got dropped because he actually does make that kind of money and then after sitting with him and knowing what he can do with the t-shirts and the show and that he's the business side of their whole thing i'm like man you know, I mean, you're you were a good fighter, but you'd be a phenomenal manager. Like, if you wanted to go in there yeah. and manage guys, I mean, hell, I might just sign up with you like right now. Like, wow, yeah. he's a really interesting guy. It's I mean, more so like obviously, uh, you know, I say this in joking, but like just when we I had him on my podcast, listening to his eating habits, I was just like, yeah. you, you might be dialed in too tight sometimes. <laughs> like, if I'm good, I treat myself with a Cadbury egg. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Are you my grandmother? Like, I was like, you don't get fucking just drunk sometimes. Like, no, I don't get drunk sometimes. Burn up a fucking professional athlete. <laughs> but like, he's you know he's an interesting guy, and it's so cool to see what they're doing. I mean, I'll tweet him or text him. I'll, t- I'll text him every now and then and say, "Hey, man, I'm just I'm just loving what you guys are doing with these. Their t-shirts are so fucking cool. Yeah, like I." I feel like I was the first generation of guys that released T-shirts, and I was so happy with them. Um, and uh, and uh, who is I am the immortal? Is that is that Matt Brown? Uh, Matt Brown. I, Matt Brown. I saw him one time playing guitar on one of my shirts, and I was like, oh, I fucking made it. And so, uh, but like, man, they've just got they've got like maybe thirty shirts out, and they're all cool as shit. Yeah. And then you just sit there and go, I wonder if he's interested in. 
doing my shirts. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's got an eye for design. The other thing is he's touching. He really every does have an eye for design of that. Yeah, he really does. And then the live show that Frank was mentioning. You know, the interesting thing about it, like to me anyway, coming from from. A, a stand-up background would be okay. Well, if you've got uh, uh, two two hosts on a podcast and you're going to do a live version of it, and one of them has any level of experience as a stand-up, let alone an accomplished stand-up like Brian Callen, yeah, he's going to do the stand-up, right? No, Brendan Schaub's going to go out and do the stand-up. I'd like to, I got, I've got to see one of their live shows. I've never yeah. seen one of their live shows. Who's good and at it? Someone's yeah. telling me. Someone's telling me it's like a full presentation, like yeah. it's like a full show. Yeah, yeah. I was I was not disappointed. I'm and really was, bad at live podcasts. I'm good at this, but like I got something wrong with me at live podcasts where I, I get the pressure to perform, and so I talk over people. I don't listen to people. I just fucking barrel. How many, them. How many have you tried? How many have you done? Uh, one. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but I've done but I've done other people's live podcasts, yeah. and I'm not good at not talking. Yeah, I'm not good at listening. I just I'm not good at not. Listening, I'm not good at listening in, on a regular, like in my man cave. Personal life. Yeah, like I'm like this right now. I'm not listening barely. I'm like, I'm like, I have nine things I want to talk about. We'll get to those. Like, yeah. it was a joke when I first started this podcast. Like, people would be like, "Hey, man, we love you on podcasts, but if you're going to do your own podcast, you should start listening to the people you have on because we want to hear them talk." And I just was. Ugh. But well, I, I actually think that I, I'd like to see more comedians. I mean, I think it's great how many comedians are have podcasts these days. But I would also like to see more comedians take that to the stage because they've they're already on tour. They've already got a built-in audience. Maybe like a uh, uh, because we're doing a thing for International Fight Week in July where we're going to do a live podcast uh, at a comedy club because there's already a crowd built in there and everything. Yeah. I mean that that'd be almost like a uh, like a pre-show for your. You're set, you know. Well, I was thinking about doing uh, Sundays or doing late show Sundays. Mm. Like, do a two-show Sunday, mm -hmm. do my Sunday show, and then just do a podcast. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it's a lot. You know, I'm the only one. I'm, when it comes to my podcast, it's just me. I edit it. I post it. Yeah. I tape it. I, I run everything. My wife gets the ad sales, but that's just Bill Burke calling her. Mm. Like, it's it really, like... Like it's that's it's as it's as low maintenance as that, and I think I'd love to I'd love to make it more, but I don't know I I don't know. I, Let me, okay, so now I have to ask a question about about uh, constructive criticism because I'm that same way. I mean, I'm you know Garage Band, I'm piecing the thing together, I'm doing all the you know all that. Do you ever get the and it's all well intentioned, but occasionally I will just get the little bit of feedback that like you know, hey, the phone connection's bad. Hey, the mic's over modulator, whatever. And it's all good stuff, but in my head for a second, I'm thinking like, I fucking know, okay? I'm like, you know, I've, oh, been, I've I, got all these balls in the air. I used to make jokes going, apparently, only sound engineers listen to my podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, because I don't even know what you just said. Yeah. Oh. What is modulating what? <laughs> yeah. Bert, ride your levels, man. Yeah. Fuck. My problem is my one of my best guests ever, ever, ever is always Joey Diaz. Yeah. But Joey Diaz, I'm shocked. I'm shocked people can hear him at his live shows. Because when it comes to a microphone, Joey Diaz is like, dog, let me tell you something. Yeah. And you're like, Joey, we have a mic so that you can they can hear you. And he just never talked into the mic. Ne I mean, then And then I got a, like, a mic stand so that it would write by his face. And he'd just move it out of his way and tell you a story. <laughs> and it was like, and you'd just be like, and, and people would be like, fuck, man, I, what did he say? And so I'd have to literally, 
and I'd be like trying to boost his levels. But I got this great app. Ari was after, after a couple of podcasts with Joey. Ari was like, when Joey's on your podcast, you got to use Levelator because oh. it'll pull. And I use it for all my podcasts now. Yeah. My thing is, I want to take it to the next level. I want to make when it comes to podcasting for me. I go like, this is cool. This is cool. This is cooler than a regular podcast for me because I technically I'm doing your podcast. Yeah. But I'm still. I feel like because we're in here, I end up asking all the questions. But that's who I am anyway. Like I'm very hard to interview because I'm only person I like really like probably ever let inter- interview me is probably Rogan. Only because that's just so him. That's not you know or like Joey, Joey Rogan and Ari are the only guys that I'm like that I'm that I just sit back you know. Um, but the thing I want to do with my podcast is I want to do like drinking podcasts for me when people get drunk. Are the they fucking the numbers are through the fucking roof? Really? Well, I, I don't. I wonder how that can be. I, given the early part of our conversation, yeah. are you saying that there's a direct connection to I you, mean, Bert, between uh, your comedy and uh, the root? If people are entertained by hearing what a guy sounds like while he's getting wasted, huh? well, I think I think that once you start drinking, so many of the everything starts shutting off. The, and you, and and you, in a weird way you go ah fuck it it's just the filters come down huh? such I mean and I and and that and the, and so I, like I really want to do like a I want to I really want to do a six a.m. drinking podcast where people I get cars I pick people up they come to my house at six in the morning and we drink to the sunrise <laughs> I so badly want to do it I'm trying to figure out how to do it but like I can do it it's easy for me but for other people they got to get up get dressed get in a car come over it's a little bit of pain in the ass yeah. but I want to do like I want to do a live like live, put it on YouTube yeah. so it trans it goes live, six a.m. almost like a morning show. Like so, okay. on the East Coast it starts at nine. Yeah, and so people on the East Coast are watching at nine. On the West Coast, when you wake up, you just log in. You're like birds drinking, and you like click on. You're like, oh, shut the fuck up. They're hammered. Like I want to do that so badly. That would I, be so much better than most morning shows. You know. Just, than most like drive time radio morning shows you could listen to. That I, would be I, way more entertaining. Well, I always say people shit on like, everyone that did a podcast was like shit on morning radio until we all had podcasts and you find us doing morning radio bits. We're well, like, yeah, <laughs> no, not, 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 now the flip side of that is when people figure out how long time actually is to talk on a mic. You know, it's kind of like the open mic syndrome where somebody goes, you know, the guy who's going up for the first time goes, I'm, I'm only doing three minutes. Is that, Oh yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, I've got 25. I don't. Yeah. So you kind of, you kind of learn that. How much time do you want to do? Oh, like 20. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You I'll see that. it. I'll see it two and a half. Tell me what you think. You learned that the hard way, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, uh, I've even told you this, right? But people, uh, our listeners, uh, have this, uh, idea for a drinking game that they drink every time Frank says his catchphrase. Do you know what your catchphrase is? No. What's my catchphrase? When you go, Hey man. You say that. You'll do go, I say hey man a lot? What you do is you do it in the in the context of something. You know, so so we were over at Bert Kreischer's house the other night, you know, and Bert, Bert said, you know, he could, uh, you know, jump off the roof and land on his feet. And I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> and then, so it's in the context of conversation. But really? Yeah. I got to pay attention to that. Yeah. Somebody actually tweeted us and said, you know, I'm taking a drink every time Frank says hey, man, and I'm dead now or something like that. You know? <laughs>
<laughs> I, I get stuck on words, I think, sometimes. I remember when I was uh, doing uh, color commentating for the WEC. Mm-hmm. Someone one time posted that they're going to do a drinking game that every time I say the word nice. So then I went and listened, and sure enough, you know, every time someone do a move, I go, hey, it's nice. He's doing this. this, this. Oh, nice. And I, I probably said it 30 times a fight. Mm-hmm. I, have, I think I say literally. I say literally a lot. Yeah. Literally, literally. totally. Literally is one I use. I'll tell you a phrase I use sometimes <laughs> is. I thought you were going to say the N word. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the phrase a lot of people don't know. To like to set up a, I'm going to tell you that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to yeah, tell I've you. I've heard you say that before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people don't know. And then I don't know why I say that. I, I'm obvi- I don't need to say it because what I'm about to say is obviously a contrarian point of view. Yeah. It's like it's an establishing point. I don't know. I kind of have to give it to you in context. But, uh, uh, you know, I always, I always thought, you know, Bert lived on this no, side. No, you've done no, it before. We talked about the, I think you brought it up when we were talking about. Um, um, the dogs with uh, um, with Vic. Yeah, the Michael Vic. I have uh, one of the dogs that was rescued. From and you, and you, it, you started off that way. You went, you know, what a lot of people don't know is that in every situation like that, yeah, they put the dogs to sleep. Yeah, really? they euthanize them. Yeah, he was telling me that that uh, up until that was one good thing that came about the Michael Vic situation is now if you know if you bust a house that has a you know a bunch of dog fighting, you know, dogs bred for dog fighting. Um, the past before up to that time, it was just protocol. Because uh, I mean, I, and it makes sense to me because you have a dog that's bred for dog fighting. You put yeah. it inside of a, a shelter. You try to rehabilitate it and it bites somebody. They're gonna be like, you know, you're held responsible. Who signed for this thing to to leave this? Thing? So no one, I think, wanted to put their stamp of approval on this dog and let sense. him be rehabilitated. It was also too easy to believe that they just couldn't be rehabilitated. Right. There had never been a real concerted effort put toward it. And the sanctuary that, because because the sanctuary best friends that got my dog Mel, there were fifty three dogs in the raid, and the sanctuary that got the dogs, he had fifty three dogs at his house. Fifty three dogs at the time. He ran that operation for seven years, and it was a graveyard back there of dogs that he had buried. How many? Uh, I mean, is it does it break into the thousands? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, you know exactly. Yeah, I think bodies fifty dogs. I mean, and all that for stuff, seven yeah. years. Even if a dog died, yeah. you know, every, you know, what uh, the fuck, man? It's really, it's it's really um, psychopathic behavior. By the way, if I can just, I'll work in the plug here. Uh, there's a, a new documentary about my dog Mel and some right. of the other dogs that were rescued on Netflix right now called The Champions. It's in the new releases. If you get a chance, check it out. Uh, but uh, it will really tell the whole story. And what the guy was doing, apart from the dog fighting, and this is the part that really was not. This is the not part normally where you media. would say, "What a lot of people, a lot of people know. don't realize." That's right. A lot of people didn't know about hey, that. Man. Exactly. I would. Hey, man. Literally. 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 Yeah. But in addition to the dog fighting, so he had dogs that you know weren't the big fighters or whatever, and the thugs that he was running the thing with, and these were bad guys. I mean, these were hardcore criminals. Were like can't we just let the dogs go or give them away or whatever if we're not going to use them? Vic thought they were missing out on fun if they didn't torture them to death. He had a car battery that he was hooking them up to with jumper cables and spraying them with water so they burst into flames. You know, he was enjoying, like, strangling them to death with his hands. Uh, you know, he had one dog that he, in the this is documented, and it's all documented in the uh, his plea bargain. So this is stuff he had to admit to, you know, in order to get a sentence. But yeah, one dog that he just grabbed by the legs and just slammed it on the ground until it died. 
And you got to imagine he had that was probably three or four or five swings here in the thing, you know. And when somebody delights in stuff like that, I always say, don't ask me, ask a, a forensic psychiatrist, like somebody who has to go into prison and interview killers, what that kind of stuff is. They'll tell you, they're like, uh oh, you got a sociopath on your hands. You know, you got that animal torture is the number one indicator for somebody who's going to turn into some sort of serial yeah. killer, you know. They definitely just uh, to me. It's not about serving prison time and then coming back. I'm like, if I was king of the world, I'd be like, all right, you're going to join the military and you're going to go overseas and you stay there. You have uh, mental tendencies that are not proper for living well, yeah. here. You obviously are a natural born killer, so we'll just keep you. We'll use you to our advantage against our enemies, but you know, there I don't are, need you in the backyard. <laughs> there yeah. are some behaviors in our society that are so antisocial. It's like we flag people, even if we don't send them to prison for the rest of their lives. We damn sure keep an eye on them. You know, what happened to that guy? You know, we tag them and they didn't move in next door to us, did they? My kids aren't over there playing with them, are they? You know, you make sure. But the problem is because that guy has one in a million football talent, he scores you fantasy football points. You start rationalizing it in your head. It's like the priest that got reassigned to different parishes over the years. You well, know? when you first told you me about the situation, it. I even tried to because I'm very open minded about things. I try to look, you know, not you know, I try to always step outside myself. So when it first occurred, I was like, well, you know, I wasn't raised in, you know, in the South where he was raised, yeah. you know, where it was more cultural, um, you know, it was more accepted, just like, you know, for us to walk into a, a McDonald's and grab a hamburger, you go into some places of India and say, hey, we're going to eat cow. You know, you're going to do what? You know, what are you yeah. doing? But to me, I've been acclimated to it. I'm used to it. So maybe it's more acceptable. But when you told me about the torturing part, I was like, no, nah, I'm sorry. I can't defend the guy. I'm done. You know what I mean? The dog fighting aspect. Maybe I could see if you're raised around it. Maybe you're desensitized to it. You know, you know, it's fighting. Okay. Maybe, you know, I, I, I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to condemn you right off the bat. You know, tell me what you're thinking. But when he told me about the, you know, hooking a dog up to car batteries, I'm like, dogs make a lot of noise. I have animals, you know, torture your dog and tell me what noises it makes. Oh, and you're going to sit oh, there and go. That's, that's what I said. Heart. Put yourself in that yeah. situation. Do you think that dog went down silently? I mean, you, it was yelping, crying, and, you know, it was in agony. And you as a human being know that you're inflicting pain needlessly. It isn't like you're going to you need it for meat and you're killing something so that you could eat it later and your family can survive. You're doing it just for the sake of enjoyment. Man, I, I'm sorry. There's just you're, see, you're, so you're wired having, wrong. So you're having a normal reaction to that. But imagine if you have somebody that's a, 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 you know, broken inside like Vic and he's sitting here, even if he's not speaking up, but he's in on this conversation, he's thinking in his head, man, I'm sorry I missed out on that. You know, like yeah. that's turning me on. Something's wrong. Yeah. It'd be cool if if you could give your dog a drug and he could talk. Yeah, I bet he'd say some fucking crazy shit. Uh, yeah, no, he definitely would. And actually, he's still very. I mean, I've oh, had and him, his dog's traumatized. For yeah, a, I've really? had him. It's, uh, mm. it's been about seven years now, and uh, he was uh, three when I got him, and he uh, he was about a uh, he was one of the youngest ones. He was about a year old when they pulled him out of that. But still. Like when he go and I take him over to Frank's every week when we when we tape and once he's now when he sees somebody you know, on a weekly basis even if they're not living in our house or whatever he's okay this guy's okay you know he's a little more comfortable with him but every new room he goes into like if we brought he's actually out here in L.A. with us right now if I bring him over here first of all friendliest as far as like he never meets a dog he doesn't like he yeah. would like all your dogs it would be easier for him to 
interact with the dogs and it will be new people. But any room he's in, he never comes to a standstill in the center of a room. He goes to a corner and he gets his back to the corner so nothing sneaks up on him. That's so unfucking fair. The dog, yeah. he doesn't bark. Yeah, he's never, he's never barked. The only way that I know he makes noise is in his sleep. Sometimes, like, if he's having a bad dream. Or you know something. what I just thought of right now? Horrifying. Yeah. You know what just dawned on me right now? When you said that, and, you, and I've already known that because he plays with our dogs, yeah. that he has no issue with dogs. There's a yeah. dog fighting dog that doesn't have a problem with other dogs. So that means that he didn't really have that many bad experiences with dogs. But what makes your dog nervous? People. So that means that the cruelest thing that happened to that dog fighting dog didn't come from other dogs, came from the other humans that were around there. So, I mean, what did they do to him that seven years later, he's still not right? He'll never be a normal dog as far as we consider it. When they they pulled the dogs out, they did DNA testing on them. They could figure out, like, some of them were related to, you know, others. One of the other dogs in the documentary, Cherry, that you see in the Right, the first one actually came up. Yeah, that's his brother. And that dog has a scar all the way down his back, which was a chemical burn where they threw acid on him because he wouldn't, he wasn't aggressive and they're trying to make him angry. Oh, I'm going to have nightmares. One of my I, biggest you, fears is that someone's going to kidnap Priscilla because she looks like she could be good for dog fighting because mm. they, they yeah. take the soft ones to train. Yeah, right. The, and that's my, but that's always been one of my fears is that. Right. So, so this to me, you know, if, if you want to pin anything, uh, I mean, if, if you need, you know, your, your mic dropping moment, so to speak, on Vic. And I always explain this to people uh, because may, everybody may not have a soft spot in their hearts for dogs, but there's a lot of people that are parents. And in the core documents of what Vic did and what he admitted to in the plea bargain, uh, his kids had dogs. And they were just garden variety dogs, not not pit bulls. Two separate occasions, he took the kids' dogs away from them and threw them in the pit to be the soft dogs and just laughed while they were shredded to pieces. Like, could you imagine doing that to your kids? You'd scar them for life. It's like that's child abuse, yeah. you know? You're a dad. See, I think that speaks to most people. Who it's are so bad, too, because I and I'm being serious. Yeah. I was always a fan of Michael Vicks. Even after the dog fighting, I was like, I want to see him rebound. Mm. But I don't think I was aware of what he did. I yeah. kind of just I was like dog fighting. And then Clinton Portis came out and was like, oh, man, ain't number dog fight. Uh-huh. And then and I was like, and in my head, I, I went directly to it's a cultural thing. Right. I don't want to I don't want to I, I, I don't I, I don't want to split the fence and say, you know, uh, how dare I be an uber-sensitive liberal white people if that's how black people grew up and that's what they do. Or not even black people, but poor people in the South because I think it's a white guy's yeah. do it too. Um, but, like, I didn't want to – but now, I mean, just to hear all that, I'm just like, no, that's a fucking sociopath. And, is. And he was Which is admirable of you that, that yeah. you tried to, again, sit outside yourself and look at it. And that's what I did too, so I yeah. completely relate with you. And I was at that moment too, like, where you are, where, where, you know, 10 minutes ago, where was I and uh, until I seen uh, uh, that documentary. When Richard started telling me some of the things about Michael, I'm like – he did what? Now, this is, I'm a professional fighter. I've broken people's bones that I'll have drinks with afterwards. You know, I have no problem inflicting pain within the realm of when it's proper and when you should do it on other people, you know? Yeah. And I couldn't do this. Some of the things he's talked about, I'm like, man, I don't care if you paid me $500,000. I couldn't 
you know, if you said, okay, light that dog on fire, I'm like, what? Mm. No. What did it do? Why? I mean, is it rapid? Is it going to hurt somebody? Like, are we talking like, am I protecting somebody from this? No. You're just going to do it and listen to it scream just, you know, to get your rocks off. I'm one all, of the real, what the hell is wrong with you? One of the uh, real revelations of, of the process of adopting him, and, and it had to all go through a court because they were court evidence. So the judge that sent Vic to prison had to sign off on the adoptions because there were groups, PETA, uh, the Humane Society of the United States, they were arguing that the dogs should all just be euthanized. So, Really? That's yeah. odd that PETA would say that. Yeah. PETA's they, big on just... Yeah, they they, still, they, and they still maintain that position. PETA pretty much any time. If you talk about like trying to rehabilitate an animal and release it back in the wild, they're like, nah, it's cruel. Put it to sleep. Like yeah, the whole thing is once humans have intervened, it's like it's better to just be dead. I'm like, what? But one of the big revelations of of learning, you know, the the mentality of what goes into the 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 dog fighting and why those dogs are used to do it is uh, because I had to have a uh, a trainer work with him once a week for the first six months I had him, like to help him acclimate and all that. One of the things that guy taught me, and it's it's explained in the Champions documentary too, is that the dogs are loyal. And so what happens is the dog is manipulated oh, this into is thinking awful. This is that, a part. <laughs> that there's an angry dog between him and his owner, his master, so he's going to give up his life to defend you. Oh, and Jesus to me, is that horrible, bro? See, that is so horrible. And to me, that is the height of cowardice right there. That is Damn. letting somebody else do your do your fighting. And especially a dog, I think, makes me feel so much like as a parent, yeah. dogs are like children. Like that that unadulterated love that just you're you I mean, think about it. every time I come home, my dogs think I'm the greatest thing that ever walked through the you know on the face of the earth. You ever yeah. hear that old joke, uh, lock your dog and your wife in the trunk of your car, come back in an hour and see who's happy to see you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so to sit there and know that a dog just has that kind of pack mentality and if you're the owner, you know, he just they love you. I mean, there's like it's real genuine oxytocin you know releasing his brain that he's seeing you yes you know you're the greatest you know yeah and you're gonna use that that's like using your child you know in a way it's like you're gonna use that against him yeah you're gonna take advantage of his love for you so that he goes and dies and you know that you don't care shit about him the most instinctual thing inside that animal is to be loyal to you and you're gonna use that against him oh fuck me yeah, it's awful, Fuck Michael Vick. I hope he. I hope he was on a plane and he, he was like, "Oh, I'm a big Frank Mir fan. Oh, well, I've seen this Bert the Conqueror guy. Let's. Uh, this will be fun." And then he starts hearing this. He's like, oh, "I guess I'm a piece of shit." <laughs> All right. And, so you'll like. So you'll like this one. You see in the documentary. I tried to confront him about three or four years ago. I tried to talk to him. Your dog? No, Vick. <laughs> oh, I was like, <laughs> "Wait, you trying to confront Michael Vick?" I was like, <laughs> I'm so, it was yeah. about as one-sided of a conversation, though. I'll tell you that as I, as I tried to have with him. <laughs> so, so what happened was um, I, I knew where he was going to be, and I, I, I tried to talk to him very calmly, just so I'm talking to you. You see it in the, in the, the film. But uh, he, he wanted no part of it. So the, uh, I'm from Dallas originally, so this is in Dallas, right? So the Cowboys are playing the Eagles on Christmas Day. So I find out where the Eagles uh, hotel is going to be. So I go there on Christmas morning. And I had the signs blown up of the court documents of his plea bargain. So I've got these things highlighted, like where he killed his Probably kid's wasn't a good way to open up. Huh? Kind of <laughs> right. These giant, you know, plaque. Start with a, I, I, 
Hey, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the buses. You didn't want to talk to me. Like, really? I didn't see that coming. So the. <laughs> oh no! This no. No, I'm sorry. This is after he didn't want to talk. Oh, this okay, is okay, I, okay, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I this wasn't your lead in. No, no, no. Okay. I gave. I told him we uh, basically. I was telling him we could do it the easy way. He didn't want to go for that. So the next day, oh, I showed up with then. signs. Okay. So, so, so the, there's so there's, there's two team buses outside the hotel and they're it's parked funny. on the curb. Hitler didn't want to talk about the Holocaust bunch. He decided to kill himself. He's like, hey, I don't think my side's going to be represented that well. I mean, I did have some ideas. I don't think you're going to see them now. So, so, so we go Christmas morning and there's two team buses and, and we're, you know, five feet from the bus windows. So the team starts coming out, right? So I've got the big placards of the plea bargains and everything. Vic is one of the first guys to come out. And he knows who I am by now at this point. So, you know, he just sort of looks down at the ground and walks, gets on the bus, and sits at the window. So now the whole team starts coming out. Was that the aisle? (laughs) (laughs) Are you on the window? (laughs) So now now the whole team comes out. So one by one, they're all getting on the bus. So I've got these placards displayed of the plea bargains. And a lot of these. How many of those guys are like, I guarantee you those are my fucking delinquent palimony bills? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck, is that me or Mike? Please be Michael Vick. Please be Michael Vick. Oh, I beat a woman in fucking Dallas. This is her boss. Shit. (laughs) There's only a handful of guys going, I wonder what that says. (laughs) The kicker, the puncher. (laughs) (laughs) So so, so much truth behind that. That's why it's so funny. Well, that can't be good for any of us. <laughs> no. So, so the guys start. So the guys start getting on the bus. I would They're be all funny to be with the guys sitting behind Michael Vick and just reading it slowly. Michael Vick. Hey, they're, they're talking about you. <laughs> so they all start sitting down on the bus, right? So I start. Uh, you know, I can. I can. Oh. I can go on. So I start. I, I take advantage of the opportunity because the buses they don't have everybody on the bus yet. So I just start preaching, you know, and I'm using my visual aids. And and one of the things I said to the guys, because some of the players looking out the window, I'm like, you know, it's Christmas morning. A lot of you guys I know have small children. After the game, you're going home. You're seeing them. They're opening their Christmas presents. Anybody giving a puppy for Christmas morning, right? You know, that's going to be the first thing that your child learns to love. Let's talk about what your teammate did. And then I'm going to my my visual aids. And there actually were a lot of guys that – you know, we're kind of wide-eyed looking out the window, and Vic's sitting there like this, like looking down. And uh, one of the guys that was with me did lean over about 20 minutes into my rant and goes, well, I bet he's really hoping this bus would get moving right about now. <laughs> was like, Can we just get to the stadium? I think they're all here. Just, yeah. I did a head count. Let's start. Let's go. <laughs> well, I think we're waiting for one. No, 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 no. He said he'd meet us there. He's going to take an Uber. Yeah, that, that I, I think they're probably – the majority of them are like me – this is going to sound fucking insane. Like, it, this is going to sound absolutely fucking insane. But I've been watching Roots. Mm. And, uh, and like, I think I've just been regular, like, white dude. Like, white privilege, whatever that First is. First time to see it, by the way, or did you see it as a kid? Uh, I probably saw it, but I was too young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Heard about it. Yeah. Was familiar with the name Kunta Kinte. Yeah. And and the Toby scene. Well, basically, you're seeing it for the first time. Now. Very familiar with slavery. Like I knew what that yeah, was. Right. But last night, I'm on the treadmill. I'm watching Roots, and I just go, 
I know. I, I do everything. I, I literally, at the end of the day, I get on the treadmill, I open a bottle of wine, and I watch TV. And I walk at a 3.5 for like seven miles and just watch and drink a bottle of wine. So I, uh, last night, I'm, I'm like, you know, Kunta Kinte has an accent, and some of these guys don't have accents. Like, where did they get these black people from? So I'm like, like, how come, like, Fiddler doesn't have an accent? Like, that's just odd, because Kunta Kinte is like a strong African accent. So I go... I'm like, I wonder what the timeline of slavery was. So I get on my computer. Slavery started in 1610, 1618. The first Africans were brought to America. It didn't end until 1860. And for some reason, I'm 43 years old. I've known black people my whole life. I don't think I was ever more aware of the impact slavery and civil rights and where we are today has had on this country. I literally walked inside and I and my wife didn't get it, but didn't get it in the way that I just got it for the first time. I went, whoa, that's that's two hundred and fifty years of slavery. Of like of like a hundred percent you kill a black person, no one gives a fuck. That that's just yeah. for like literally you could um chop off half of their foot and everyone would be like, Well, at least you won't you know, that's the way that worked. Two hundred and fifty years easily of just that. Then another Hundred years of hey they're not they're not second class citizens second class citizens like don't drink from our water fountains don't fucking t- don't look at us don't look at us or we can kill you literally don't look at our women or we can kill you God forbid you catcall a woman we will lynch you Emmett Till that is that and then I'm like whoa it is only 2016 like it's like it we're talking one generation of full rights. That's it. Oh, yeah. yeah. One generation. And I literally was like, I was laying in bed going, I like, I've made race jokes my whole life, but not like bad, but like, you know, lighthearted, like only because I was under the impression of like, I grew up in that one generation where Chris Colvin or Chris Collins, who lived in my neighborhood, uh, was a black dude and I were the same. Like we were just the, mm. we rode bikes together. No one lynched him. No one beat him. No mm. one looked at us odd for riding bikes together. Um, but his grandma wasn't and i used to yeah. go to their house hang out with their grandma and i never it never dawned on me his grandma i figured just grew up like my grandma in new york and whatever i never really put two and two together and last night i, I i've been saying it all day like my big thing that i'm fucking losing my mind over is like is ebonics like people would ha- this is going to sound very preachy but remember i just saw roots last night so <laughs> so i'm You're still really fresh but like people have the nerve to say stuff like uh, he speaks so educatedly, right? Or, or like, I can I can't understand what Trick Daddy's saying, but what they're forgetting is that he, it's it is it, like, and I don't know why, but like, I watched Kunta Kinte learn English. I watched him learn English, and it just dawned on me in the most primal way. I went, "Oh fuck!" He they all had to learn English by themselves. No mm. one fucking sat down and go, hey, guys, let's make this easier for everyone. This is this is English. This is how we're going to read. This is how we're going to communicate. Oh, no, no, no. Don't say not never. That's a double negative. No one did that to anyone. Yeah. And then – and that's – that is ingrained in your cultural DNA. That is – and then – and that's – by the way, that's 250 years of that shit and it's only been 100 years. Mm. Like – and I literally – I was just like – I was up all night. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I called my dad. My dad is like the most liberal guy in the world. And I called my dad and I was just like, I was like, my dad's the kind of guy that would like, Opie and Anthony, 
you don't know if you remember that, but Anthony was one of the guys that opened it. Anthony oh, he got yeah. beat up by a black chick and didn't pull his gun out. And then he Taking went on the this pictures he, in Times Square. Went on a little level. bit of yeah. a spin out yeah, of saying right. that black people have a problem with violence. That look at the prisons, look at this, look at that. And my dad and I were watching it together on the news, and my dad went, "I hope you don't know this guy. He's a fucking idiot." And I went, "Actually, I do know him. He's a, I consider him a friend." Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, "He's a fucking moron." And I was like, "Dad, I mean, what are you saying? There's some value." And he goes, "No, no, 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 no." It's socioeconomic. How dare he? It's not black people. It has nothing to do with the color of skin. It is poor people. Yes. And that is what, like... That's, my- that's, a, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's I agree, that. too. That, no, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I no. just want to say it's so, it, 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 it's, it's so important when people say or to know that because it's not about black versus white. It's, it's about rich versus poor. It's about opportunity versus lack of opportunity. Yes. You know, if you, you can be Tiger Woods and they'll let you move into the gated community or OJ Simpson. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that really is the difference, but the people, you know, the man, the people who want to keep you down will try to make it about color because that's something I can see. It's so easy to do. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so easy to do. It's so crazy. Like, like your dad, did your dad come from Cuba? Yeah. And to, straight to Vegas? Um, they came in through Miami. I think stayed there for about a year. Work wasn't the easiest to get a hold of. Miami. And so they, uh, they located through uh, to, to Vegas because um, no one spoke English. Yeah. And so to be able to work as a porter or back of the house is what we kind of, is a term we use in the casino and hotels. You know, uh, uh, it was easier to find uh, uh, work. Yeah. So that's basically why they moved to Vegas. So my grandparents and, you know, my dad's, you know, uncles and aunts everybody worked like you know like i said porters maids uh dishwashers and that's why they located in vegas but it's so interesting just to look at that and look at i mean this is going to sound silly but how special it is that you got to see you got to be raised around a guy who was worked hard for everything grateful for everything oh yeah. country was an opportunity like that like i never got that i just got to be white and then it was like no my dad oh, had very much appreciation for things that's why it's funny there's certain topics that right off the bat people will think you know i remember one time uh we we're sitting there and uh you know the, we were at uh, uh when i still worked at, uh with him uh, at one of the casinos and um or maybe I was just visiting for lunch. I forgot what the situation was. We were sitting at the table, and over the bar area, you know, it was the news of people carrying, you know, down in Southern California, you know, you know, wanting to change the language or, you know, acknowledge it Spanish or some of uh, the sorts. And my dad's listening. He's like, all right, I can be okay with that if enough people speak Spanish, making it easier. Like, what's the harm in trying to make science and, and, and deal with it? My dad's listening. He goes, you know, my family, when we first came over, it was a struggle to learn English. Uh, you know, my dad, obviously, is, you know, he took the test. He's a, you know, a true blue, uh, you know, a U.S. citizen now. But, you know, he had to go and help translate for his family because, you know, when my dad came over, you know, he was, you know, became a teenager, a little bit easier to learn the language. Some of the people, his family, father, you know, yeah. you know, they come over there in their 30s and 40s trying to learn the language was more difficult. Not that they didn't try, but not as easy. The only and then my dad sitting there and when he saw one of the people holding up a Mexican flag. My dad got, that's what upset him. He's all, no, I don't agree with that. I'm like, and I looked at him, you know, and a couple of them were like, oh, really? They're holding, he goes, no, you're an American, then you hold up a U.S. flag. That's you it. might be a U.S. citizen who speaks Spanish, whose ethnicity is from Mexico. Like, my dad's big on that. When you sit there and go, hey, what's your nationality? My dad, you know, my dad's obviously not a white guy. So he'll sit there and go, oh, I'm a U.S. citizen. Well, no, you're not. I mean, you have an accent. He goes, oh, you mean my ethnicity? It's Hispanic. You know, my, my family, I came over from Cuba, but my nationality is I'm a U.S. citizen. He's big on that. Yeah. I don't, you know, the American flag is the one that I, you know, that is the reason.
reason why I have the life that I have and I appreciate being here. And so when people sit there and they, you know, they adorn their vehicles or something like in the proud eagles, it's a, it's a really thin line with them appreciating where you come from. And then some of the people that sit here and they'll come to the country and be like, you know, you know, screw America was better. I'm like, my dad's the first one to be like, then go back. Yeah. If you, know, you know what I mean? Then go back. I think that's Cuban though. Cause like, I remember growing up in Tampa, uh, Cuban dads, when they saw Puerto Rican flags flying in the car, they would fucking lose their shit. Yeah, okay. I remember fucking Ty Rodriguez's dad being like, this is fucking bullshit, man. You're in America. You put an American fucking flag up. Look at this fucking asshole. Like, I mean, I remember... But pulling up, man, Cuban dads are the... I a little bit more of a struggle to get here from Cuba than it is from Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> there was a dad. I wish I could remember his... I wish I could remember exactly who it was because I'm going to fuck it up. I'll just make it Ty Rodriguez's dad because I love him and I know that he doesn't care if it's not him. But uh, but I don't, but like you always want to remember the right name. And so I remember when we were kids, we went into the, the Quickie Mart or whatever and the dad gave us 20 bucks <laughs> and we came out with... Uh, with ten dollars change, change for a ten dollar bill, and two burgers and I got two uh, drinks and a, and candy bars. And we came out with like five dollars and change, and he goes, "No, no, 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 I give you fucking, no, no, no." And he walks in and he goes, puts it. And he goes, "He gave you a 20. And he's like, "No, no, no, uh, he didn't." He goes, "Oh, then I steal ten dollars of your shit." And he just fucking went through. And he goes, "I gave you a 20. Like it was just a fucking. I remember being like, "It's so different than like my white dad would have been like." Well, listen, I think I have a. It was fucking. Oh, yeah. I, I always felt like I grew up Cuban because I because yeah, I grew up in Florida. Yeah, growing up in Florida, man, like there was no like you you. You you knew how to understand Spanish. You couldn't speak it, but you could understand it, or you could at least read it. Like read it, read when people were talking in Spanish, right. like understand what they were saying. But uh, yeah, Vegas is an interesting fucking place. We were talking about before the podcast started. Such a interesting, bizarre place of handshakes. Like the- yeah, it's funny because that's my norm. I was born and raised there. So really? sometimes when I travel. Especially in my early 20s when I first got with the UFC, traveled around to places. Uh, it was a little bit shocking to me. I mean, to walk out of a place at 9.30 at night and be like, all right, man, I'm hungry. Let's eat. And they're like, what do you mean, let's eat? Mm-hmm. But there's nothing open at 9.30 at night. I'm all, what? Go, well, you know, the, you know, Denny's, you know, you know, 10 miles away. You know, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm used to Vegas. You're hungry? Cool. Let's go. Let's go to, you know, cafe. No problem. I mean, I, 24 I, hours. I just moved there a year ago uh, from Dallas, but I have to say that I, I find uh, I, I find Vegas uh, a, a little bit uh, metaphorical for my life, which is that everyone leaves. You know, it's like it's no, yeah. there, there's no there's not a lot of permanent people here. It's like it's new. Yeah, it's a new rotation of faces all yeah. the time. It's like it's like the world's largest community college. You know, it's like a commuter commuter <laughs> college. You know, I like that. I remember that one. Just there long enough to get your associate's degree or not, and then out the door. I got a good buddy who lives there, Scott Beer, who's a really interesting guy. He used to sell advertising in radio in Vegas. Mm. But uh, you see him in Vegas, and you're like, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I used to love Vegas, but I used to love... I haven't been to Vegas in a while. But I think L.A., Vegas is like your... Uh, it, it, Vegas is like L.A.'s stomping grounds. Like We always felt like that was our second home. Like You could just make the quick drive, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then and you had your... You were locked in. Every, there was comedy clubs there, and like you could just be dialed in pretty quickly. And then... I don't know. The th- I meant to say this earlier, but the thing I like to the thing uh, this is totally off subject, but the thing I like the most about what the UFC have, has done is it made losing okay. 
Like professional oh, boxing, yeah. like it, like if you lost, we were just talking about this the other night. Yeah. Really, uh, Randy Couture. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you want to hear a really quick funny story about Randy Couture and uh, and Chuck Liddell? I go to an, I go to a party, and I see, I see, I always get them fucked up. I see Chuck Liddell, and he's with. He might. I mean, take cut my stories in half for whatever the truth is. He's standing next to a Spike executive and Dana Dana White. Like, I don't know really. All I remember that certainly uh, Johnny Fairplay was there <laughs> from fucking Survivor. Yeah. But it is it is Chuck Liddell. And I walk up. I'm a big I'm a big fan of UFC. But like like I said, big fan of UFC, but like average for anyone. Like for anyone that is an actual fan. Like the real fans. I'm, an, I'm very average. But I just see him and I walk up. I go, oh, what's up, champ? It's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Bert. I got a show on Spike. And I'm a big fan. Massive fan. And he's like, thank you very much. And then Randy Couture walked up, and I go, I've already said, use the word champ. I can't say it again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hi, Randy. (laughs) And it was just so funny because I had already dropped champ, and I couldn't say champ to the same guy. But they were right next to each other. I went on a fucking tirade uh, Googling Randy Couture's ears. Have you ever have yeah. you ever spent much time googling his ears? Not googling, but I've I've been up a close personal with him. You They're know? fucking like he can't like yeah. I've I got obsessed with I was getting cauliflower ear in this ear from sleeping. I think <laughs> I don't know if that's even, sleeping. I don't know if that's possible. But like, well, Bert, welcome to the dojo. Wow, yeah, you caught pretty hard cauliflower ear, man. You but must have been training a while. I had a lump, and then I was like, and I was like, it felt like a full fluid, and I was like, I should drain it. Cause I, and I don't know what it was. It might have been just a pimple. But I started getting obsessed with cauliflower ear. So I started Googling that that girl that got her ear knocked off in Leslie this fight. Smith. Oh, Leslie, Leslie Smith. Smith. Yeah. And then I and then you just start trickling down. And it's like there's so many videos of high school kids draining their ears. So many videos. Yeah. And then I'm like, I was like, oh, I would be obsessive about draining my ears. And then they're like, if you don't, you get Randy Couture's. And then I was like, Randy Couture's. Mm-hmm. His ears are probably the most attractive cauliflower ears I've ever seen. Meaning, like, mm. they're just, they fit well on his head. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I, I've, I, you're you know, right. I've seen much worse. Somehow it works. They look good. They're like, they're like, they're like cool headsets. Like, yeah. like, but, uh, but. Usually they're misshapen, don't match each other. One's kind of like, like a car door that got left open. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, I forget whose I was looking at. I, oh, no. You know who I was, one of my favorite fighters too is Forrest Griffin. Yeah, these are kind of rough. And he's got one, the little rough, but because uh, he kind of started out with some big ears and then just yeah. jacked them up. <laughs> yeah, but you I know was, what Randy told me about his ears? He said he's never been able to use earbuds. Yeah, like he doesn't know what that experience. Earbuds were invented, and he already had ears. That I've thought did not about that a couple them. times when we've trained together. Not, not about yeah. earbuds, but I like the experience of putting Q-tips in my ears. You mm. know, when you go to clean out your ears, so good, it feels good, right? Oh. And I've looked at Randy going, "Man, you can't get a Q-tip in there." Yeah. That sucks. Like that's you know that, that, that feels nice. You know can, what I mean? Can like, they can they fix that ear? I'm sure they can. Reconstructive surgery to a point. I right? say at they, that point, I think. I mean, they, they put yeah. people's faces on. I'm sure they can fix an ear. Yeah. Yeah, but I think at that point you'd be talking about total reconstruction. You'd probably have to pull cartilage from rib cages or. Like I heard he can't sleep on one on one side because that ear hurts. Like I, I trust me, I might be the yeah. foremost authority in cauliflower ears. Yeah. What really? They do. An ear transplant? Oh well, my god! That's the thing too. I don't understand why ears. people just get like Michael Jordan's ears on my head, and then everyone's <laughs> like, 
Are those your ears? I'm like, no, they're my goats. I've always drained my ears just because it hurts not to. So you drain them yourself? Yeah, I've just anytime I get puffy, yeah. you, know, you just you get a syringe, you stick it in there, and you just push it, boom, and all of a sudden then you just pull out and just you. Pl- you don't have any cauliflower in not, your ears. Clear fluid comes out and then a little blood, and I, a couple times like it, it doesn't completely go flat again, but I've because they hurt That's when they're swollen you, uh, like that and someone cross faces you or you get punched it doesn't feel good man so that's why i've always been like one i don't need to look like a tough guy i'd rather just perform as one and then you know and two it's like it doesn't feel good why not just get rid of it do you ever think do you ever think like so like say say you're you're uh you're on the on the ground and you and you're in a you're you're in, I guess, what you'd consider guard, but the guy's trying to throw punches in on you. Do you ever think stuff like, oh, thank God it's his left hand and not his right hand? Or, like, do you ever think, like, of minutia thoughts? Like, like just the weird, what's the weirdest thought, thought you've ever had in the middle of a fight where you're like, where you're like, oh, does he shave his legs? Like, Jesus Christ. No, you know what? What will happen, though, sometimes in the fight is I'll hear people's conversations outside the ring. Seriously? Because, I mean, you're sitting there and you're so, like, you're... Uh, I think because of the ADD in me, sometimes I could be in the middle of a fight and actually start thinking of other stuff. You know, like I'm, I'm rolling with people, you know, moving around, and all of a sudden I'm like, something will catch my attention, that and I'll literally drift open. open over to that situation. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've had complete conversations where I just listen to people, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's a good point. No, I don't agree with that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know. Do you think, like, uh, is there any part in a fight like where you're like, uh, where you're like, because I, pro- I probably would give up a lot. Like I'd probably be like, be like, I don't think I don't think I'm winning this one. Like if I if I let him hit me a little more, it could end quicker, or I could just postpone this. Do you ever think that way? Or no? Well, I mean, early in your career, you do, but then uh, I started to learn how to not to attach emotion to to fighting. You know, for example, if uh, if we're fighting and I get on top of somebody and I have him, you know. I have my hooks in, they're strung out, and I'm like on the verge of putting them unconscious. Nothing in my brain goes, yes, I'm almost there. My brain kind of goes, oh, man, he's blocking with his left hand. I'm going to go ahead and go underneath of his arm so he lowers his elbow, and then when he thinks he's blocking this hand, I'm going to shove my elbow in deeper. So even on the verge, it's just very clinical to me. So that way, too, because if you do get excited when you're winning, then that means you're going to be sad when you're losing. And that takes a lot of energy from you. Uh, emotions are fatiguing. Think about it. You have a bad day at work. You come home. You're tired. Well, fighting itself is already so draining. And that's why sometimes you'll see older fighters that can last longer, sometimes than young guys. And if we all both got on a treadmill, the young guy is going to last longer. Yeah. But also when we put ourselves in a stressful situation, and the young guy, you know, in, in three minutes, into the fight he gasses and like how did he gas i'm like oh because of his emotions his emotions drained him you you fought people that i am so scared of like like i'm like tank abbott is the person i've most (laughs) i'm most afraid of in my life like he is he was the guy that i've that i mean he's been around since almost the very beginning correct yeah very early on i think like ufc 16 i mean we'd see him and we'd be like because we used to have that yeah, if he looked at you from across a bar and he was just staring at you, not blinking, most people would be like, "Oh shit, really?" Yeah, he's like, I like, I would say he would have such an advantage just in the fact that once he got in the cage, I'd be like, oh, "I made a bad call. I shouldn't have taken this fight. Oh, I should have told him I have the flu." Yeah. Like, what I mean, you already understand a little bit. When we were talking before we went on the podcast, um, fear assessment. You know. It, 
I'm just as scared as the next person. In fact, in fights where I'm not as scared, usually I get hurt more. If really? uh, fear makes you move, you know what I mean. I mean, think about it. If you're you see a, a tiger, you're going to be on high alert. You're like, oh shit, let's go. <laughs> you know, but think about it. Dogs can sometimes be dangerous. Why? Because, oh, well, you know, I'm used to dogs. I see dogs. So all of a sudden, yeah. like a dog, I'm more probably prone to get bit by a dog than I'd ever get bit by a tiger. Why? Well, obviously, the normal reason is that I'm not going to see a tiger in nature. Yeah. But if I seen a tiger, I'm going to right off the bat and be like, oh shit, that's dangerous. On high alert, right off the bat. But if I see a dog. I don't have, you know, I'm like, oh, it's a dog. I reach out, maybe pet him, and then boom, takes off my finger because he wasn't, you know, you know, the dog has issues because I'm comfortable. My sense of fear wasn't there. So same thing with fighting. Fear is a good thing. Fear keeps you sharp. When people tell me they're not afraid, I'm like, okay, hey, you're bullshitting me. You know, yeah. you know, everybody's afraid, you know, and if you really aren't afraid of the guy you're facing, you, you're dumb. You're, you're not going to be sharp. That gives you fuel. Now you can't let fear, it paralyze you just like nitrous in a car fear is good for it right if you want to race too much you blow out your pistons and you ruin the engine and now you're on the side of the road not enough you don't have the horsepower to move and so that's how that, that balancing act of just okay i'm fearful and don't want you to hit me in the face you know and then so what can i do to react and not be paralyzed and just curl up in a ball but let me be proactive and pragmatic on how to deal with this this thing that's scaring the shit out of me i'd already apply that horribly this would be me in a fight with tank abbott you're not looking good because I'm really afraid of you. <laughs> I'm going to be doing so well today because I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That guy was. Uh, that guy. I, like one of the things I, I, I think I've watched. I've probably watched every. Uh, it's one of the things I Google. It stinks that that or that I uh, YouTube is uh, is. Anyone who's ever been on Rogan's thing, I automatically watch all the greatest. I've watched, like, same with Fighter and the Kid. I watched all their top five submissions, Mm. top Mm. five knockouts, top five quickest fights, whatever. Um, And uh, there's no equivalent of that in in stand-up. Stand-up's so subjective that you're like, eh. But you see anyone fucking break a dude's arm, you're like, that fucking badass. Like, you know, it's such a – it's a different – like, if you do – Oh, I take that back. Like, I, Norm MacDonald. Like, I, I Googled Norm MacDonald's, like, it was a two-hour thing of him just being hilarious, and everything he said was fucking genius. And what about like, the time Bill Burr came out with the hecklers? Was it Philadelphia? That impressed the hell out of me. That was an Opie and Anthony show. Magical. Yeah. I've talked to Bill about that in here. That um, blew my mind. when I saw that on YouTube, and I sat there and was like, when he came out, it was just fearless and just... Do you know what he said after it? I mean, the clips online of from my podcast... If you type in "best of Burt Cash," you can find it. Um, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, and once again, I'm doing the best memory. But what he said is he was he was uh, shell shocked right after that because he thought this clip's getting big. What if this becomes my career? What if people come to my shows to heckle me and watch me lose my shit? And he was like, I, he goes, he goes, you know what a death grip is? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I had a death grip when I was on stage. I was so fucking scared and then he tells this hilarious hilarious story about his family watching some tv show where a guy fell out of a plane and got a death grip on the ladder and when they landed it took him like three hours to get him to let go because he, he wouldn't let go they're like no we're fine he's like Aah! and there was such a it's but and it's bill telling it and bill's laughing telling it which makes everything better but that's one of the best there are some really great you ever see you ever see uh you ever see bernie Mac's first def jam i think so uh, you'd know. 
Mm. It's where he comes out and his pants are spray painted and like cartoon characters. Mm. And it's and the guy that had come out before him. Oh, Hamburger no, that Jones. I didn't know. It is. And I like Bernie. Oh, I liked him a lot. You know what I mean? So. It is the best stand-up clip. I mean, Bill will agree. This is maybe the pinnacle stand-up set ever. Really? Goes, it is so fucking good. I know what I'm Googling. I'm just goes, it, I'll, just to give you a, a summation very quickly, the guy that went out before him got booed off stage because he wasn't from New York. And Martin Lawrence comes out and he's like, he's like, hey, calm down. This next cat from Chicago. And they kind of like, whoa. And he's like, but he's good. He's like, he tries to like uh-huh. pump him back up. And he's like, keep it going for Bernie Mac. And they're like on the fence. And first words in his mouth, he goes, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Kick it. And the DJ hits the music and he starts dancing. And he cuts it and he goes, I got a big black dick. You, I whip it out. It looks like someone turned the lights off. Hit that shit. And the DJ hits it. And then it come, the music comes back. And he goes, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. It is the most moving stand-up set. As a comic, you watch that and you go, holy shit. That is, it, it's, it's all the chips against you. They want you to fail. And you go out and you murder. And we've all had sets like that where it just didn't seem like you'd do well. And you just, for whatever reason, you change the energy and you spin and you take that negativity and you ride it and you, you, you can't, even if they're with you, you can't ride it that hard. Like it's those ones that are fucking, like that are, they're dream sets. They're dream sets. That Bernie Mac one, I'm going to, I'll, I'll text it to you. Yeah, so you please. have the right one. It is so fucking good. That Bernie Mac one, we, Bill and I ended up talking about that too. But that Bill's Philadelphia one, holy shit. It's so, but Bill's, you know, Bill's an anomaly. He's a hardworking guy who who loves what he does and just and kills it and works harder than anybody. Meaning like his brain's never off. He's always and he's fine tuning it and he's like, I'm lazy. I fucking get something working halfway and I'm like, got it. Yeah. Here we go. Next one. Because I'm I'm my wife and I I'm talking about this in therapy, but I'm, ins- <laughs> I'm insatiable. I like I like the I like the first kiss. I like the one night stand. I like. I don't I don't fall in love with bits like I get into the, I like to mm. I like to I like to take his pa- pants off for the first time the bit and then and then make out with it have sex with it and once I've had sex with a bit I'm like great I got you we're, you don't call good. it the next day I do not no. I, and and sometimes I'm like Ugh, you again <laughs> so here we go I'm like you guys have heard this Are you serious like but you know Bill's someone that and I think that's why he turns over material so quickly not to talk ad nauseum about Bill but. But yeah, those he I've never seen him live where and I've always seen him like with other comedians just sitting around watching him as they do. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. It it, it yes, it's inspirational, but it's so good that you also there's a fair amount of guys walking out looking at each other going, "Why are we trying to do this? Like why are we even why are we Oh, I got I I did a set one night and I uh I did okay. Yeah. Um Bill went before me. Rogan went after me. I had a hard time following Bill, and Rogan destroyed. And and by the way, Rogan destroyed with a bit that I fucking loved. And so I get in bed, and I'm just depressed, and I'm drunk, and I'm fucking wake up the next morning. And my wife's like, "How was it?" And I was like, "Fucking shitty." I was like, "I'm I fucking suck." I go, "I really, honestly, I got to start working harder. I got to start focusing." I was like, "Maybe, maybe my time's passed." And my wife's like, "Hold on." You're talking about two of the best stand-up comics working today. She's like, they just happen to be your friends, but they are the best comics working today. Like, let's not hang your hat on last night. Like, go work anywhere else in the world. You're going to be fine. But you just happen to work with Bill Burr and Joe Rogan, who are the best comics working. And she's like, 
let that inspire you. And I went, oh, yeah. yeah. I should be inspired as opposed to defeated, like, fuck. I'm just doing old material. I'm not writing anything new, whatever. <laughs> and Bert, I personally, I personally, I personally am not convinced that one day we're not going to see you on that yacht. Hey. We're not going to see you set sail. Oh, I'm, I'll probably have a yacht. I'll be fucking no house. I'll be fucking, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be upside down on everything. <laughs> like, okay. God damn it, he's got a yacht though. Holy shit. <laughs> That's the way my brain works. Oh, Maybe at least a houseboat. Well, I take a houseboat. Do they have those anymore? Uh, yeah, oh, they and do? they're fucking amazing. Oh, okay. Uh, they got better. Yeah, did you guys ever go out to Lake uh, Lake? Is it not Lake, not Lake Mead, Lake Powell? Did you guys ever go out to Lake Powell? No. Oh my God! Do that with your family. That is one of the coolest things you can ever do. Do it with a couple families. We have that, friends that go. I guess I've heard about it. Go out with a couple families. Go out to Lake Powell, and you just disappear. You find your own little island. The water's crystal clear. You there are these big cliffs. You go up and snorkel up to these, like swim up to these big cliffs, and it's like a, a two hundred foot cliff. You're just staring up at from the water. It is the one of the coolest things I've ever done. I love Lake Powell, and you can get great houseboats out there. All right, we're going on a houseboat, phone booth fighting uh, cruise. There we go. Speaking of cruises, you know this is uh, we're doing uh, phone booth fighting home invasion today, and we appreciate you uh, letting us invade your home, Bert. No, I appreciate it. Tomorrow we're doing this at Paul Stanley's house. Are you serious? Yeah, we're going to show up over there. Speaking of ears, yes. (laughs) You know what? I was thinking that because we were talking about reconstructive ears. That's what happened. He had an ear reconstructed from a rib cage. It's in his book. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, okay. So it's yeah. is that why you knew? Because you said that they could do uh, transplants and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You're kidding. <laughs> You're kidding. Well, do you go bigger or smaller? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so technically it's a body transplant. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe this is the atheist in me, but I, you know, when, uh, remember when Ted Williams got his head frozen over at that Alcor laboratory in Arizona, that to me at first consideration sounded like a pretty solid idea. Like, you know what? Let them freeze me. See if they can figure out, work out whatever went wrong later yeah. on. Bring me back. I'll do that. But what I'm afraid of, though, is that Alcor Laboratories offered you two plans. One, if you went for the platinum package, they'd freeze the whole body. But if you wanted to save a little money, they'd do just the head. And I was afraid that, like, if they reanimated me, that they, if I was just or one no. of the head people, it'd be like you're a second-class citizen when they bring you up like you're somebody's pet or, or, or something. What's that? Futurama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on Futurama. <laughs> it a glass jar for the What if they took your head and put it on a baby's body so you get to live a full life? But you're, like, in grade school and you got, like, an adult head. You're losing your hair. <laughs> it's like my, one time my That's buddy, a weird visual. One time I, we're watching the Super Bowl, my buddy Lorenzo goes... Uh, <laughs> There was this this girl got a heart transplant, and and there was this little child. And my buddy Lorenzo goes, and that's why I'm an organ donor. I go, hey dummy, they don't give her your heart, like they can't give her your fucking yeah. heart. Like what? Do you, like hey, stay away from salty oh. foods. You got high blood pressure. You got fucking <laughs> clogged arteries. So wait, who else is on your list that you guys uh, that you guys? <laughs> I just thought. Sorry, I just like never mind. Uh, 
I was thinking about transplants, and I was like, because they do eye transplants, and I was like, I wonder if they give the person their glasses, too. They're like, you'll be needing these. <laughs> like, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, wait. Who else is on your list while you guys are out here? Okay. So, uh, from here, we're going to go do MMA Roasted with, uh, oh, with Adam Hunter. I love Adam Hunter. Yeah, he's your neighbor, by the way. I've been. Uh, it's interesting how many people live in this neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood. Yeah. Brody uh, Stevens lives out here. You know Brody? Yes, I Brody, know Brody Stevens. I see him at Starbucks all the time. Yep, all the time. Yep, we uh, uh, Jennifer and I are staying at a friend's house, who's one of the guys in Blues Traveler, and his neighbor is uh, Mark McGrath, and he lives in the neighborhood. All uh, this within a mile of you. Mark McGrath, by the way, looks a lot like Ethan Hawke in person. Let me rephrase that. Ethan Hawke looks a lot like Mark McGrath. So I did a show with Mark McGrath, and I met him. And I was in line at the airport, and Ethan Hawke was behind me with the Richard Linklater. And I turned around, and I went, hey! And now Ethan Hawke probably got that a million times. Yeah, so he's like, right. hey! Yeah. And I was like, how you doing, man? And I'm looking, and I'm like, I was about to go, you got all your tattoos removed! And then, and then I was like, you're not. You're not who I thought you were. And he goes, yes, I am. And I went, no, you're not. And I went, oh, yes, you are, but another person. And I turned around, and I was like, oh, that's Ethan Hawke. Like, holy shit. But yeah, they look. you'd be shocked. And then who yeah. else? So we're going to do MMA Roasted, and then tomorrow we're doing uh, Paul Stanley's house, and then uh, Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse, the flyweight yeah. champion of the world, is going to uh, come meet us somewhere and join us. Did as I well just listen? Show. I just listened to him on Rogan. Is that possible? Yeah, and he yeah. did. He just he called into our show a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we're doing something in person. He Frank ran into him. Ran, get this. He randomly ran into him on the beach two weeks ago in Mexico. The really the former UFC heavyweight champion and the current. UFC flyweight champion walking opposite ends on a beach and run into each other. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, right? That's fucking insane. <clears throat> Holy shit. Yeah, I could take him. Hey, <laughs> I, I, that's what they all say. So so I, I also have to tell you too, Bert, because uh, you and I have a, a mutual friend in Doug Stanhope, and I'm a religious listener to his podcast. So you'll like this, Frank, because you're a fan of uncomfortable situations. So Bert goes down to Doug Stanhope's compound down there in Bisbee, Arizona, uh, to, for a lost weekend or whatever he's doing down there, uh, uh, does the podcast. Doug's girlfriend takes uh, Bert to the airport, right? Yeah. But he discovers on the way that Doug's girlfriend is planning to basically drop the uh, bird off at the airport and just keep driving and run away. And he's the no one, shit. he's the one who has the info. And then he's got to share with all this was on the podcast. But, not, well, no, it, was, it was on one of Doug's later podcasts. So we did a podcast. Yeah. What's really eerie. What's really, really yeah. eerie is I shot a vlog about it. I'll bring out my camera if you guys are cool and I'll yeah. shoot a segment for my vlog. Yeah. Um, I'm changing the scope of my vlog. I think I don't, I'm not certain how I'm going to do it, but, um, but what's really eerie is that if you listen, so we do the podcast, me and him do the podcast, and a bunch of stuff happens on that podcast that are signs of what's about to happen, I think, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So then the next morning, she's like, I'll take you at like 11, we'll pick you up, we'll get you at 11, and we'll get you to the airport. She gets in my room at like 6 in the morning, she's like, let's go. And I was like, okay, in my head, I'm like, at least just, she's got stuff to do, drop me off early, I'm fine. And uh, I might be fudging the hours a little bit, but then we get in the car, and the car's packed with like all shit. It's filled with shit. And I was like, that's odd. So we get in the car and she says, um, I need to tell you a secret night. You can't tell anybody. And I was like, okay. She's like, I'm running away. And I was like, hold on, what? Now, Bingo, obviously, and I, I'm not, I'm not speaking out of school, has had some issues with, with, uh, with mental health. 
that w- would be concerning in this moment. And I'm concerned because I really like Bingo and I really like Doug. And I really connect with Bingo in a weird way. And, and we've had this great conversation. And then I'm like, fuck. She's like, don't tell anyone. I've, in this All this stuff goes down. She explains all of it. Don't tell Doug. Don't tell anyone. I just appreciate it. Just be my friend. And I was like, great. And in my head, I'm like, well, do I leave money in the car? Do I leave like my cell phone? Like, because she's also like, she left her cell phone. Doug calls on the ride of the car on the ride of the airport and's like, "Hey, I need you to um, is Bingo there?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "She left her phone." And I was like, "Yeah." And she says, "I left my phone so that no one could find me." And I was like, "This isn't good." I'm like, "Fuck." So I literally, I'm like thinking, "How do I deal with this?" And if you watch my vlog, you see me say goodbye to her, and you see my eyes. I know what's happening. And I'm like, Bingo, I love you. Take care of yourself, okay? Like, you can see me seeing it. And then, if you look at my vlog, Doug talks about this argument they had about patio furniture. And you, I just happened to walk in filming the argument about patio furniture. And you see that in the – it's so insane. And, like, like, you could pull it apart and plug it into time where – and then, so I immediately – she leaves and I call Doug immediately. And I'm like, Bingo ran away. And he's like, What? And we're both fucking hung over his shit. And he's like, bang. I'm like, Bingo ran away. I don't know where she's going. I don't know where. So I was like, uh, she, and I was like, she wants you to do a podcast with Bathtub Willie or whatever his name is. And he's like, what? Hold on. And I was like, yeah, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and then, and then. Uh, what came of it? He went, he, she, he got, he helped her get back. So, she so what ultimately what happened right? is I said, she said in the car, yeah. I just wish they'd handle this for me. She's had been left Doug for another dude and Doug was heartbroken she was heartbroken the guy was this and she goes I w- just wish that Doug would meet this guy and they'd talk it out and they just figure it out for me like podcast about it or something and that's what I, maybe I added podcast but I'm almost certain she said podcast about it so I called Doug I said she wants you to meet this guy she wants you to find this guy she wants you to podcast and literally he called her and this and by the way this is so like now surreal but like he called the guy and he said, "Hey, Bingo ran away. We're concerned for her. We want you to come down to the to the fun house, which is his compound, and uh, and be on my podcast. And we're going to put it out. And we hope Bingo will hear it and know that everything's okay. She can come home. So they did a podcast and they both reached out to her and they're like, Bingo, wherever you are, we don't care. We just want you to be safe. And then a couple days later, they're doing another podcast with Bathtub Willie." And Bingo calls. She goes, I heard the pot. Like, and it's just so fucking bizarre. And then she's like, I'm in New Orleans. And Doug's like, all right. I'm f- why did you take the shittiest car? Because I'm flying out and I'm driving you back. And then I, I think, I, I know I'm not certain everything. So I kind of disconnected at a certain point. Because it was like, I was like, she's fine. I'm, it's way too close to home. I can't even listen to these anymore. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and then, and then I just partied with them. They were out here in L.A. And they were and doing Ari's This Is Not Happening show. I flew one on Sunday and I went right out to the strip club where they would shoot it. And me, Bingo, Doug, uh, Chad Shank, and uh, and Brian Hennigan, his manager, and Lynn Shawcroft, Mitch Hedberg's ex-wife, um, all went out partying for the night and then ended up at the comedy store. And it was and like the, everyone's good, everyone's good. Like and then that's the 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 good thing of the story. But yeah, so hopefully no one's wife runs away from this podcast. Yeah, and if you didn't know, Doug, this maybe you. you could re- well, of course, you were there, but but what I related to him is just you know, being a being his friend is like I totally knew all that was real. 
Like normally you'd listen oh, yeah. to that and you think this is so bizarre. This has to be a weird act. They're re- acting. They're really good actors, but this all has to be made up. But that really is like his. It was his so life. Yeah. good. That whole podcast yeah. time of that chunk yeah. was like Doug. We just go into podcast and he just dump all his feelings on the bar. Yeah. Start having beers with and just. Oh, that was it. Was like his podcast is one of the best podcasts out there because what he did is he brought in his community. Chad Shank, who I mean, he just got lucky that Chad happens to be funny as fuck and sits and lives just down the block from him and come over and podcast whenever his manager, his manager's wife, his wife, Bingo, or girlfriend, Bingo, and they all just kind of hang out at this house and weird people come by yeah. and they turn on the mics and they just start talking and Doug gives out his address and it's, it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. His podcast is fantastic. I'm excited to, you know, I like anytime you hear a new podcast, I get fucking pumped. Someone introduced me to one called Lore. Have you heard of that mm-hmm. one? I don't know. It's about Laura. They said, don't listen to it at night. It gets scary, and I get scared. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, we that's actually because uh, I've been talking to Doug the last couple of weeks about coming on ours. Uh, by no, 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 no. Phone. You guys definitely go to Bisbee. Well, that's what our, yeah. Go to Bisbee. Yeah. Do a swap cast yeah. with Doug. You will have more fun than you've, I mean, like, he is a fucking blast. Like, it is so. I'll show you. I'll show you my vlog right now when, when we get done with this, and I'll show you that just. It was a fucking blast. It. Do, you guys have to go to Bisbee. No, that's where I was going with that. Is yeah. that's my ultimate goal is to take us down there. I'm. I'm. I'm softening you up with these quick runs to L.A. And then we're gonna do the big. Yeah, it's great. Was that five yeah. hours? Yeah. Not oh bad. yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a fucking In Vegas. Yeah. It's a jump for you guys. Yeah. It's a, and it'll be a road trip, and you podcast on the ride there, right? You podcast together. You do some research on Doug, see, what, and then you give him your perspectives. Then you guys hang out. You do a podcast on the way home. You got three fucking top podcasts because the Swapcast with Doug. Like you'll see Swapcast. I, I mean, maybe I don't know, but my numbers skyrocket. Yeah. Like because it's fans coming over from both sides, going like, "Oh, I've I know I've heard your name, but like, like I guarantee you, like I, that's what you know when I when I saw you guys with Joey, I was like." I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, uh, well, that's so cool. Like, he's right. Like, and I know where Joey's studio is. It's like right down the street. I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. I sh-. And in my head, I was like, I should drive over. And then I was like, Joey's going to make me eat edibles. I'm going to pass. So. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, Cuban sandwiches to go with it. I'm trying to think of a yeah, second. You had something to eat? Did he have- oh, that's right. He, yeah. he always buys four. Don't eat these last three up, cocksucker. Yeah, I had him in the car. I ended up eating, I think, all of them because the vegan over here didn't touch him. Are you yeah. vegan? Yeah. So I got to eat my sandwiches plus his sandwiches. <laughs> I've been so eating so good lately. I do my green shake in the morning. I do like a poke or a sushi, sashimi salad in the afternoon, and then I try to eat healthy at night. Fucking. Well, L.A. is the vegan paradise. Uh, my girlfriend Jennifer and I were just enjoying like going through the wh- where are we not going to eat is the question. Like, There's tons of vegan restaurants. My biggest crutch right now is there's a... There's a restaurant behind me that, um, you know, this <laughs> yeah. place, but they've got that fucking ultimate soda machine where you can, like, it's a thousand flavors. Yeah, they so, have them in the movie theaters now, a lot of them. You get to pick your soda, and then you're like, we just went to the movies the other day to go see Captain America, the Civil War. Yeah. Diet Coke with lime in it. Like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? Like, Dude, I'm having a Grape Fanta, Diet Grape Fanta. And by the way, did you know this? Like, Diet Grape Fanta makes you shit green. No, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever had Diet Grape Fanta. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Apparently, <laughs> you'd know. Yeah, yeah, you definitely know. Um, but yeah, so uh, so let me know when you guys are going to release this for you, and then I'll yeah. just release it. Yeah. I can release it 
the day after or the day same day. I, yeah. We usually just release it same day. Yeah, it's a great idea. And, uh, appreciate and I'll you doing upload it. this now. Yeah. And, and then, for, for, for our listeners, people need to know they can go to BurtBurtBurt.com or... Yeah. Birdcast.com. Birdcast.com. B E R T. Yeah. And my show, uh, Birth Conqueror, airs uh, Tuesday nights on Travel Channel. Check that out. I have a Showtime special coming out. Um, and check out my YouTube channel. That's where I'm putting up the most content these days is like trying to film stuff uh, and and figure out that side of the business. And my podcast. Check out my podcast. Uh, you can find Bill Burr on there. That's what, like, what are good ones for my listeners? What are, the, what are your top ones? You're like, oh, definitely check out this one. All right, so uh, the Forrest Griffin episode was big because he came over and just sat in the backyard with us. That's a few weeks ago. Uh, that was a big one. Does he drink beer? Does he drink? I don't remember. Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, I wasn't thinking whether it answered or not. I was thinking if I'm allowed to answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, is, is it okay uh, if I had, tell people? <laughs> uh, we had Adam Carolla on two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, in fact, Frank's going to be Adam's on stage guest at Treasure Island in Vegas on oh, fuck July 8th. Yeah. Yes. That's cool, yeah. right? That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So those are a couple of those are a couple of big ones. I'd crawl on. Crawl is a good one. Yeah. Crawl yeah. was a. I asked him if he uh, if he ever gets scared, like making his monthly nut. And he was like, "Oh yeah, when I lost my job at Clear Channel, yeah. I was like, I was like, fuck. Well, I'm gonna have to downsize." And he's like, "I told my wife. He's like, you know how much is our mortgage is? She's like, eh, is it this? He's like, not even fucking close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, he, he was a really interesting guy. You want to know uh, like a really cool Adam Kroll story that I'm probably not allowed to share, but I don't give a fuck. No, I don't, not that I don't give a fuck, but I, I think it's okay. But like, he wants to take me home. It's more vulnerable for me than him. He uh, he's a very regular guy, like very very regular to those listening. I'm not telling you guys, um, but we get I Ubered over there because I thought we might make, drink Mangria. I don't drink and drive, so. When we get done the podcast, I'm like, all right, I'm going to just hop in an Uber. And he's like, no, I'll take you home. And I was like, oh, like, like in my head, I'm like, that's too intimate for me. Like, I was like, no, nah, I'll just tell you. And he's like, no, hop in. So I like get in his car and all, and I'm like, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just looking at his car going, how much does this car cost? Like, this is like the most expensive car I've been in in a long time. Like, holy shit. Like, how good is this podcast? Like, yeah. oh my God. And then he just starts driving. We start talking, start talking about live podcasts and his live podcast and how he likes he's doing this theater coming up and then he's like where do i get off and i tell him and he goes oh i used to i grew up around here and i was like yeah and he's like yeah where do i go i go take it right here and he goes i grew up on this street and i was like really and he's like yeah he's like do you mind if we go by my childhood house and i was like in my head i'm like uh we can totally go by your childhood house and like we drive by his childhood house and it's right by where my daughters went to go to school and he's like and and they had and they had sold it, and it was a teardown. They built a McMansion, yeah. and he was—you could hear his distaste for McMansions, and yeah. like—and it was like it was like being, it was like experiencing Adam Carolla's show, but with him, with no audience. Yeah. But like, it was so fucking cool. And then like, he dropped me off at his house. He's like, "Hey man, it was really great hanging out with you today." And I was, and I'm like an idiot. I was like, "It was great for me. I'll see you later, Adam Carolla." <laughs> like, I just said his whole fucking name. And he was like, huh? I was like, uh, bye, I'm Bert Cray. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where people can uh, can find you. They can also find you on Snapchat. You are one of my most prolific Snapchatter, uh, Snapchatters. It's so interesting you say that. Oh, yeah. Where's We're that? on Snapchat at Phone Booth Fight, so you got to follow us. I'll follow you today. Is that mine? Yes. Yeah. And uh, you get our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or PhoneBoothFighting.com. Are we snap? Um, are we doing a meet? Oh, are we gonna do a, a snap? A, a snap swap? Is that what's about to happen here? Yeah. Oh fucking shit! 
This dude never looked at my phone. <laughs> By the way, don't ever open up your Snapchat to like anyone can snap you directly. Yeah. So I'm just inundated with snaps. Oh, yeah. We have people snap us photos of what they're doing while they're listening to the show. I thought that was a bad idea, but so far it's turned out to not uh, scar Richard yeah. anyway. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. Follow these guys on. What's your Snapchat again? Phone booth fight, Bert. What's yours? Uh, it was Romeo Horsecock, but I had to change it because my daughter's apparently you're on Snapchat. <laughs> hold on, wait, we ran out of video. <laughs> All right, hold on. Okay, you got to give it a get. Wait, wait. Okay, hold on. <laughs> yeah, my daughter came out and she's like, Dad, are you on Snapchat? And I was like, I am. Why? She was like, uh, some of the kids found you. It's Romeo Horsecock. And I was like, it was until today. <laughs> All right, what is it, Bert? My, my, my Snapchat's Bert Kreischer. B-E-R-T-K-R-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. Bert Kreischer. Bert Kreischer. Um, we got to, we, sorry, we got to get headed over to MMA yeah. Roasted. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tell Adam I said hi. I love Adam. Yeah. Hang out again so yeah. we can smoke cigars. Oh, you cigar guy? Okay, I'll give you one. I'll give you one to go because it's my favorite cigar. I love it. It's my favorite cigar. I'll give you a couple to go. Oh, okay. Which one is it? Uh, the the Jaime Garcia. Oh, you're gonna fucking love it. It's Bill Burr's favorite cigar. It's Bill Burr's favorite cigar. Padron? Yeah. Seven thousand? Yeah, the 1964 edition. Like that's. Well, let me give you a Padron seven thousand. That's the better. Shut the fuck up, because when I go in the store, yeah. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.